Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome back to the latest episode of the Command Zone. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm DJ. We're back. And, uh, well, it's very exciting. We got a new set to talk about. We got a new set to talk about. So, Guilds of Ravnica has finally been fully spoiled, and we're going to be doing our Commander set review. I'm really excited. This set looks amazing. I think it's going to be really fun in Commander. I'm excited to crack open packs, play some limited, get some cards that fit in my existing decks. There's a couple of crazy cards in this set. Like... Crazy level, like here. There's there's good, pretty good, really good, crazy. There's a couple cards in the crazy category. I it, totally. <laughs> so I'm excited <laughs> about that. Uh, before we get into it, you're gonna hear about a bunch of Guilds of Ravnica cards this episode. Big surprise. And if you want to pre-order that stuff, you can right now if you go to CardKingdom.com/slash/CommandZone. Just use that affiliate link when you order your Magic products, singles, anything at all. And you're going to be supporting this show, Game Nights, all of our content. We really do appreciate it. And while you're there, you should look into some of the Ultra Pro stuff. They've got their Guilds of Ravnica themed products out now. Like, we keep talking about this because I think this is the coolest thing they've got right now. It's the Guild themed sleeves. So I'm holding Demir. Who you got? I got Bor- Wait, you got Demir's, Boros. Wait, Demir's cooler than Boros. Actually, the fist is pretty cool. The, I think Boros has <laughs> one of the coolest like um, like symbols. Now that color combination, <laughs> I'd ro- I would rally behind the symbol. You'd rally behind like a weird. I don't know. It looks like, like an alien. Scarab, yeah, no. Scarab thing. Or yeah, something this like is that. the one that you hide under your sleeve and you like <laughs> oh, show it secretly right. and then you <laughs> put it back down. Uh, it's the clandestine services symbol. Seriously, these sleeves are awesome. I, I can't wait to like take all my two color decks and put them into like whatever guild they are into those sleeves. And yes, these are the Eclipse technology. So. They're a lot more durable than the printed sleeves, uh, you know, have been in the past or that some other companies make. So Ultra Pro always making cool stuff. In fact, we also have the uh, Guilds of Ravnica themed playmats in front of us. I've got Steam Vents and you have Sacred I'm, I'm Foundry. Sticking, I'm sticking with Boros right here. I got I, Sacred Foundry right here. I didn't do that on purpose, but you're themed. Yeah, I'm yeah. Demir and is it. So that was a little bit of a misfire on my part. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Flavor fail. Uh, and the final way to support all of our content is directly. If you go to patreon.com slash command zone, you can contribute right to our content and you get special benefits like getting to see game nights a day earlier than everybody else. And that game nights episode is going to come out next week. So if you sign up for Patreon right now, you will get to watch game nights earlier than anybody. In fact, one of the other things we do is we call out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Corey. Todalen. Todalen? Todalen. Corey, you're awesome. Corey, you rock. Thanks, we're Corey. S- we're sorry that we butchered <laughs> your name, just like I feel like we always do. <laughs> I feel like we're so, we're trying to like do a favor or a nice thing for a patron, and then we act. We, we make every patron feels a little just a little yeah, bit bad. Yeah, sorry. Listen, if my uh, <laughs> name got called out on like some random show, there would no way they'd ever know how to say it. Now, your name, on the other hand, yeah, they'd probably get it right. It's two D and J. Right. Okay, so. 
before we get into the set review, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. We've got some Newell, uh, some Newell, some cool. That was cool and new. Cool and new together. Yeah, some Newell, some cool new stuff uh, in, in the works and coming out soon. So on September 26th, which should be next week, like I said, Game Nights is coming out, the new Game Nights, and that's going to feature... We've already announced some of the guests. So we've got Olivia Gobert-Hicks, Gobert who's a magic cosplayer. We've got me. We've got uh, Craig Blanchett, Mr. Infect. And I, I don't think I've announced Craig and the other person yet. Uh, Adam Savadan from Loading Ready Run. And everybody built around one of the new commanders from Guilds of Ravnica. So again, September 26th, that's coming out. Look forward to that. If you're a patron, you're going to get to see it early. And then that's some cool people and building with these brand new commanders. That sounds super fun. Yeah. And the game is pretty epic. So you're, you're not going to want to miss it. And then something that's coming. <laughs> it's scary, but it's like on the horizon is we're getting pretty close to 200,000 subscribers on YouTube for the command zone channel, which means we need some kind of special piece of content. And we've actually yeah. been working on something. I'm not going to, tell you what it all is yet but dj you've seen pieces of it it's it's kind of a new show or series that we i have yeah, yeah. it's very cool and i don't want to overstep myself but if you like the stuff that basically josh puts together we've got the command zone and game nights and he's dabbled in like kitchen table fables and all of this other stuff when he puts his creativity to creating magic content it always turns out really good so you have something very cool to look forward to so don't, yeah, make sure you hit that subscribe button and you're around and paying attention when uh, 200 subs hits because we're going to have something pretty cool. And then finally, I wanted to talk about something that we've been working on here and I just wanted to tease it out so that you can get ready for it, which is we, I, I think. Do you know what, Josh? Here's here's the perspective yeah. that I like to throw in it. Uh, I think that EDH rec, we mentioned them a lot. They revolutionized the way that we look at Commander because they went in and got the data and scraped it and they put it out there so that people can be like, wow, I understand Commander better now. But what Josh has done is said, well, we don't just all care about decks all the time. We want data from gameplay. Yeah, and this actually stemmed from a conversation I had with Donald Miner sometime in the past. Uh, and he's the guy that created EDHREC. And he had said to me, you know, I have all the deck building and deck brewing data because that's really easy to get. But what doesn't exist anywhere is gameplay data. So nobody knows the win percentage of decks. Nobody knows, you know, anything that has to do, you know, if you watch the Pro Tour, it'll say something like, you know, Golgari has a 47%, you know, win percentage against the you know, Jeskai, whatever deck. And there are websites where you can see a breakdown of the metagame of a format pretty easily. Yeah, it'll say like, you know, 37% of the decks in the top eight had this card in it or whatever. Yeah. And that's just stuff we don't really have in Commander. And <clears throat> so what we did is we kind of assembled a team here at the Command Zone. It's funny to say, but to sort of gather a bunch of da data and to analyze it and to come up with some statistics. Like another place this came from and, and really what, what convinced me to sort of launch this project is I noticed when working on game nights because that's me like studying one game very intensely for a month and then moving on to the next one every month. I had this inkling that the player that goes first in a game had an abnormally high win percentage, a win percentage above 25% that you would expect 
each player to have. Yeah, and I and I went to Josh and I was like, is that really true? I mean, wouldn't it just balance out? These games are lasting so many turns. And I was surprised when Josh told me the answers to some of these questions. Now, that was from only game nights. So that was me with a small sample size. And I knew that too. And I was like, well, in order to sort of check that theory, I need hundreds of games. And so that's what we tried to do. And so those types of questions are the types of questions we're asking, along with many others, like how important is a turn one, two, or three soul ring? And what's the win percentage there? What colors tend to win more? All kinds of things. I'm very excited about this project, which is why I'm talking to you about it. I want you to get excited about it too. I want you to look for it because in the next you know, few weeks, it's going to take a little while to, comp- to sort of crunch all the numbers and come up with the talking points and figure out episodes. Maybe it'll be multiple episodes, but DJ and I will be discussing. Maybe we'll bring Jimmy in too, uh, the findings. I'm so excited. Did you hear it? Hundreds of games analyzed and presented for This is a wealth of information. I'm so, I'm so excited. We basically have people right now at this moment <laughs> watching gameplay videos of Commander and taking certain notes of of the different data points we want to collect. And so, yeah, that's going to be super interesting. I don't know if that's a good job or a bad job. Um, I think it's good (laughs) at first, and then it gets a little bit mind-numbing, just like any data-gathering job. All right, I wanted to plug that just so you can keep an eye out for it. We will jump into the set review now. We're going to talk about what we always talk about first, which is the new mechanics. Yeah. And the way that Guilds of Ravnica is set up, each guild, there's five guilds, mm-hmm. uh, sort of has its own mechanic. And four of them are new and one's returning. Mm-hmm. So do you want to start with Yeah, I want to talk probably about probably the coolest one? I'm excited about this yeah. one. It's Surveil. So it's like a scry, but instead of putting pushing the card to the bottom of your library, you can choose to put it into your graveyard. Right. So, so it's either top of your library or graveyard rather than top or bottom of your library. So Surveil 1 means that you'll look at the top card and you'll be like, okay, do I want to put that back on top or do I want to put it into the graveyard? Surveil 2, again, just like Scry, you'll grab two cards and you'll look at both of those cards. You can put them both back or you can put one or both of them into your graveyard. Now, I mean, off the top of my head, this just feels most of the time better than Scry. Unless you're playing like a Grenzo deck that cares about the bottom of the library. Most most cards in magic strategies don't care about bottom of library, but a lot care about graveyard. Yes, I totally agree with that. I think it's far more powerful than scry. So this is, you know, this will open up some effects maybe that like a dredge deck or a graveyard recursion deck wouldn't have had direct access to to be super efficient before, but now it's like surveils tacked onto another effect and now it's like I can run it because now that also sort of self mills me if I wanted to. I love that in many cases surveil is tacked on like scry. And it could just be incidental value, but when it works with the synergy, like Carador, Marin, Muldratha, all of those graveyard strategies, some now you essentially have even more synergy in your deck. And I think that we agree that we love decks that are high on synergy that seem to just run and everything, every part of the deck seems to be working together. You know that old sort of maxim that like Scry 3 or Scry 2, somewhere in between those, is basically worth a card. Yeah. Well, Surveil 1 could be worth a card if you have Muldrotha as your commander because anything you put in there, you have access to it as if it were in your hand, right? So all of a sudden, Surveil 2 is draw two cards tacked onto something, depending on the deck. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one, I think. This doesn't mean much until we get into the cards and their context, but some of them will just have Surveil 2 tacked on, and in the right deck, 
that that just makes the card crazy. It just says draw two cards, basically oh tacked onto it. Okay, the next mechanic is the Golgari mechanic. Oh, we should say Surveil was in the Demir colors. That's right. Um, sometimes it'll be mono black and sometimes it'll be mono blue, but also it'll be in the combined colors. But it's not like in red yet. Um, okay, so the Golgari mechanic is Undergrowth. And this cares about how many creature cards are in your graveyard. So you'll get some kind of added effect based on how many creature cards are in your graveyard. So a creature might come in and say, you know, it gains X plus one plus one counters where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. That's what undergrowth is. Um, Another graveyard mechanic works well with Surveil. Does, yeah. Uh, works well with a lot of other cards that put things into your graveyard. The Marin, what do you think in like, general? Like you said, the Marin decks and the Caradors and the stuff that's already self-milling, it's a, it's a payoff. It's not an enabler. And mm. so I think, honestly... Graveyard didn't need a lot more payoffs. <laughs> that's that's kind of true. Yeah. There's plenty. But it's an interesting... There, You might find a card or two, but it's not... I mean, it's not as exciting as Surveil, no. Yeah. Okay. The next mechanic is out of Boros, and it's Mentor. Whenever the uh, this creature attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on a target attacking creature with lesser power. So if you have like a 3-3 three, three with Mentor, and it attacks and, and also attacking at the same time as a 2-2... Two, two, the mentor will trigger and put a 1-1 counter on that 2-2 that's attacking. So if you attack with two creatures, one of them has mentor, and the the one with mentor is bigger than the other creature, boy, there's a lot of ands. This, this is not commander. This is not for commander. Once yeah. again, Boros. I'm a little bit disappointed. I like that it's plus one, plus one counters, but it's not even like bolster. It, it You can whiff. Yeah. Like your creature Very can easily. be small enough and you can easily whiff. Yeah. And you have to put him into combat well, plus, Again. if you do it once or twice... You can't do it anymore. Probably. It's going to stop, right? It's not going to snowball in any way. It actually gets harder to do as you go. Yeah, this seems... Poor Boros. I think it's going to be fun and limited. Yeah, yeah. I think it could be powerful on some cards, but you're going to notice that we're not going to freak out about this mechanic. Yeah. Okay, and the last one is Jumpstart, which is kind of the new... It's the new flashback, I guess. Our retrace kind of thing. Oh, retrace. Yeah, so Jumpstart. It's on instants and sorceries, and it allows you to cast the spell from your graveyard if you discard a card in addition to paying its cost. And then you exile the spell. So uh, let's say a card was said like, it's a sorcery that draws you two cards, but it had jumpstart. So sometime later in the game, I have an extra land. I can discard the land, pay for the spell, exile it, and draw two cards. That's a lot of value. Yeah. It lets you play the cards twice. Uh, we've seen this with flashback kind of, yeah. but the flashback cost is usually much higher. In this situation, all it is is, well, you're changing in a card you don't want for the exact spell you want in your graveyard. That's a really good way to put it. It turns one of the cards into your hand, into that jumpstart card that was in your graveyard, basically, because you're discarding the card from your hand, right? Yeah. So it does cost you the card, which makes it a little worse than flashback, but yeah, at like the same flashback time... gives you card advantage because yeah. like you're, you're not spending a card in your hand to play the card from your graveyard, but the mana cost is all wonky. In terms of jumpstart, it's just literally like you have that card in your hand substituted for any of those other cards. Which could be really powerful in a singleton format. So we'll yeah. have to keep our eyes out if there's any jumpstart cards that are powerful enough. It, it could very well be worth it, you know, even though you don't get the card advantage. Okay, so... so oh, and we're, yeah, I'm sorry, we're, that one is the... Um, what guild is that? Oh, that's the Is It, is it. guild is Jumpstart. And then Celesnia. Celesnia has the returning mechanic. It's Convoke, which is you can pay the mana cost of the spell by tapping creatures. So you can tap creatures and that will help pay the mana cost. And the color of the creature can help pay that color of mana cost. 
Uh, we saw it earlier on Impervious Great Worm, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. So, That's right. And then there is also a sort of another... And it's not really a mechanic, right? But it's a returning thing that I guess we could call out. It is the split cards. So I've got one in my hand right here. It's the card that has two cards on it, and they're kind of sideways. And it's hard to read. You either crane your neck or you turn the card. Luckily, oh, and I should say... You ever do this in Limited where you're just kind of like... Yeah, in Limited, you're like, crap. <laughs> I want to look at the card, but if I turn it, they're going to know I have it. So I'm like... Ugh. Um, I should say also, we forgot this at the top of the episode, uh, we have the cards in front of us. These were all provided to us for free by Wizards of the Coast because of their sponsorship of Game Nights. So don't want anybody to think that we, you know, I don't know, legally we're supposed to say that, they tell us. So, you know, thank well, you, Wizards. thank you, Wizards. Like, for we, the cards. We're, we're glad to have them. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so the, the main difference on these split cards, again, they have two effects on them. Two, basically, cards on one card. They're usually slightly overcosted because you have the choice and there's flexibility. flexibility. Yeah. The big difference from Return to Ravnica or that block is that the split cards last time around had fuse. And fuse allowed you to play both spells that are on the card by paying the combined mana, co mana cost of the two. We're back to sort of the original split card. So an original um, Ravnica City of Guilds, right? Or was it one of the Dissension or one of the other ones? I don't remember, but yeah. Back in that block when they first came out with with split cards, I think that was the block. Anyway, they didn't have Fuse. And so we're back to non-Fuse. So you have to choose one or the other. And this always gets me into trouble in Limited when I get one of those non-Fuse <laughs> cards into my brain. I'm like, I'm taking this because I can Fuse it. And then I go to Fuse it. I'm like, crap, this one doesn't have Fuse. So don't make the mistake I, mis I, I, I make all the time. And uh, keep in mind, you can Try only cast one end of the card. Side, yeah. But the flexibility is still really good. Yeah, true. Okay. So those are the mechanics. We're going to start where we always start with the new legendary creatures. Uh oh, we got them out of alphabetical. Okay. We're going to start with the new legendary creatures. Uh, usually we split everything based on color, but because there's so many gold cards, we're just going to go alphabetical <laughs> on this episode because it was a little bit of a pain to figure out, like, where did the mirror cards go then? Like, th Otherwise, we got 10 yeah, categories. All right, forget it. Nobody cares. It's podcasting <laughs> woes. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna another game night's little little spoiler here is that the first legendary creature is gonna be the one that's played by Craig Blanchett, Mr. Infect, on the next game nights. It's Aurelia, Exemplar of Justice. She's two red and white for a two-five legendary creature angel. She has flying, as angels do. She also has mentor, which I'll read again. Whenever this creature attacks, put a one-one counter on target attacking creature with lesser power. She's a two-five. So you have to have a one power creature for her to mentor it, except she has an ability. At the beginning of combat on your turn, choose up to one target creature you control. Until end of turn, that creature gets plus two plus O, okay. and it gains trample if it's red, and gains vigilance if it's white. So Aurelia can give herself plus two plus O, trample and vigilance. And What's so her converted mana cost? She's a four mana, two uh, red and a white. So she, she can make herself a four mana flying four five with Trample and Vigilance and Mentor. So when she attacks now, if you have a three power creature or less, she can put a one one counter on it. This is a very aggressively costed creature, which should frighten you in the hands of Craig Blanchett. And let me tell you, it is frightening. <laughs> That's really, it's aggressive. It's very strongly costed. I don't know if this kind of aggression is paid off in our format. Maybe you have to go you do super know. aggressive with Craig. I do know. Uh, you have to. You have to work really hard to make this a payoff. This could stomp people in other formats, but in ours, you're going to have to jump through some hoops. And I think that's what Craig did, right? 
tried to jump through some hoops. Listen, you know, Craig, he's going to try to put infect on the creature and kill you as fast as possible, which is always scary. All those white infect cards. But in general, <laughs> I'm yeah, I, it's just another Boros creature that cares about attacking. Add it to the list. I is it better or worse than all the rest of them? It seems like right in the ballpark of all everything. I know. I'm not. You're supposed to be the positive one. So I like the other Aurelia. Say something better. positive. <laughs> I like I like oh, Aurelia yeah. as a card. Yeah. Aurelia Tribal. The other Aurelia <laughs> gives you like Extra possibly unlimited phases. combat phases depending on how you do it. So yeah, yeah th this is this is very lackluster. But it, it can definitely come out the gate super fast and be really scary if you're the one you know with the with the bullseye on your forehead with the player that's playing that deck. It can definitely come out and just pound you fast. Giving Trample is good too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but. Yeah, okay. The next one is the deck that I'm going to be playing on the next episode of Game Nights. Imara, Soul of the Accord. Green and a white for a 2-2 Elf Cleric. Whenever Imara, Soul of Accord becomes tapped, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token with lifelink. So when she becomes tapped, you make a 1-1 soldier token with lifelink. That's, that's an interesting thing to note about this set is the soldier tokens have lifelink. This is the first time that's happened, right? I believe so. I don't want to make bold claims like that, Josh. But here's one thing to note. <laughs> so let's just get past it. Maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm wrong. Skip past I, think, it. I feel like I'm right. Uh, this this basically gets advantage when it. This is Aurelia. Aurelia gets advantage when she attacks. Yep. Amira gets advantage when she taps. Right. There's a huge difference there. Yes. So you can tap this through all sorts of different means. Right. Cryptolith, right? What else did you? Paradise mantle, smugglers, copter, any any vehicle will do it. Josh knows. <laughs> well, I played this deck yeah. on Game Nights, and I built my deck to take advantage. There's a lot of... If you look at a King Makar deck, there's a lot of similarities with things you'll want to run. Also, you can untap Amara, tap her again. So a card like Nature's Chosen, uh, which allows you to untap the creature, and then it gives it a tap ability, is very powerful with Amara because you get some other... You know, like Paradise Mantle is good, too, because you tap her for mana. So now you're you're making a 1-1 one -one and getting mana, right? Cryptolith, right? Same thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of ways to build Amara, but she's a token generator, and you're going to sort of do the things that token generators do. I think it's interesting because she can be super aggressive and get in for damage, but you can also be like, all right, the board's a little bit clogged. I'm going to go off kind of and make my own army while you guys do your own thing. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, the next one is uh, the Command Zone preview card, and if you watched our last episode, Olivia was on talking about the deck that she built around this for Game Nights. It's a Trot of the Silencer, two, a blue and a black for a 3-5 Vampire Assassin, legendary creature, of course. A Trot of the Silencer can't be blocked. And whenever a Trot deals combat damage to a player, exile target creature that player controls and put a hit counter on that card. That player loses the game if they, if they own three or more exiled cards with hit counters on them. And then a Trotta's owner shuffles a Trotta into their library. Now, of course, if she's your commander, you can choose to put her in the command zone instead. But that means you deal combat damage to somebody, <laughs> exile one of their creatures. She's unblockable, remember. And then that's that's all great. That's all awesome, right? That like, is great. Reminds me of Grim Grin a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. But the bad part is if you when you do that, now you have to shuffle her into your library, which means put her in the command zone, which means she costs you know, six oh, mana, then eight geez. mana, then... Olivia, you should 
if you're interested in Entrada, and the text box is pretty interesting, right? It's super interesting. Yeah. The hit counters? <laughs> Losing the game? Yeah. You love alternate win cons. I, I knew you would like this. I love alternate win conditions. So you should listen to our previous episode, our preview card episode about this card, because Olivia had some interesting ways to interact with the shuffling and, you know, trying to sort of activate this alternate win condition, which I thought was pretty pretty creative so awesome check that out and again you can also check out when she plays it on game nights and see if she manages to knock anybody out with three hit counters Ooh, that's a good that's a good like pitch for there i want to see that she definitely has some cool ideas about the deck and this next card man we went four in a row alphabetically (laughs) this next card is the card that adam savadan plays in the next game nights and probably our next episode i believe will be the deck tech breakdown of his deck very cool it's a zani thousand eyed Two black, black, green, green for a two, three elf shaman. It has that undergrowth mechanic. When Azani Thousand Eyed enters the battlefield, create a one, one black and green insect creature token for each creature card in your graveyard. Okay, so that's the kind of the undergrowth tacked on to this cool effect. And it also has an activated ability uh, black, green, sacrifice another creature, you gain one life and draw a card. So Azoni, if you have, let's say you cast uh, Azoni or Azani for, you know, six mana on turn six and you've dredged in whatever and you have, say, seven creature cards in your graveyard, Azani will come in with seven 1-1 insects and she already has a way to take advantage of the insects on her. You pay a green and a black and sacrifice any of your tokens, draw a card, gain a life. Or you can sacrifice multiples depending on how much mana you have. It seems powerful. It seems like a decent payoff i mean is it better than draw or something i'm not sure but definitely any commander that comes with tokens and has card draw on it uh, has got my attention yeah definitely i mean i really like the card hornet queen i know that that there's a lot of death touch in there but this has the potential to really just put so many one ones on the battlefield and i like this dichotomy of like going really wide but then also being able to sacrifice things and then regain your grip and you how you need to put things in the graveyard but also you have card draw it seems like it has a lot going on which might mean that it needs a very careful build to be successful i mean not that this card needs a lot of help but hermit druid out early you could conceivably have milled yourself for 50 cards wow you know and Azoni can come out on turn six and create, you know, 31 ones. What I was thinking about is there's another insect that I like, Mazarek. Yep. Wherever you sacrifice something, all your creatures get plus one, plus one. Yep. And this has a sacrifice outlet on it. And it's in Golgari as well. Yep. Yep. I think that this just matches so well with the Golgari feel. Um, but again, like you said, it might not break break into the most powerful of commander cards in that. But I think it could be a good deck. I mean, my main question here is where are the other 998 eyes because she's only got two as far as i could see like it's but she's called thousand eyed there's so. not even a possibility of oh, you getting she, are that they counting many eyes. The, the eyes of the insect yeah uh so that's 500 insects then well oh, I mean, spiders they're not technically insects yeah. but they but, have eight but, eyes but flies have like don't their eyeballs have like yeah, they see like a million facets they they're still insects. have oh, i know they but still like count there's as still two facets eyeballs? i think there's still two eyeballs all right that's a lot of insects whatever it is <laughs> Okay. Uh, the next legendary creature is Lazav, the multifarious. Lazav returns. This time is only two mana, a blue and a black for a 1-3 legendary creature shapeshifter. When Lazav enters the battlefield, you surveil one. 
So again, that's just like Scry. You look at the top card of your library, except you can either choose to put that card on top of your library or into your graveyard. And Lazav has an activated ability. You can pay X and Lazav becomes a copy of target creature in your graveyard with converted mana cost X, except except its name is Lazav the Multifarious. It's legendary in addition to its other types, and it has this ability. So let's say you surveil. When you cast Lazav, you see Invisible Stalker, which I'm sure goes in this deck. You put (laughs) it into your graveyard. Now, for two mana, you can turn Lazav into... Invisible Stalker, right? What pow! One commander damage. But here's the thing about Lazav that I find really interesting. That ability is... It doesn't say activate this only at a sorcery speed. Yeah. So let's say you have Invisible Stalker in your graveyard. You turn Lazav into Invisible Stalker, attack with it. It's unblockable. And then before damage, you now activate it again. After blocks are declared, before damage, you activate Lazav again and turn it into something like Phage. The Untouchable. Phage is a creature that if it deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. And because Lazav never enters the battlefield, you're not cheating Phage into play in the same way. And so that would just be immediate death to somebody. That does cost a lot of mana. Yep. But I like I like the fun, goofy nature of that. I think that's it's a really cool set of steps to have and if you pull it off like you just get to win the game even though you don't actually you just you just like flip your playmat over and be like i did it and then you're done but i also like that this can just instantly become that invisible stalker and just have hexproof yeah exactly so they go you go boom turn it into phage and they go okay swords of plowshare and go okay turn it back to invisible stalker has hexproof now it's Mm -hmm. saved i mean again you need a lot of mana for that scenario specifically but you could do phyrexian dreadnought that's By a the cheap way, this, 12 12. So, this, and that, that's commander damage. It is commander damage. Yeah. Commander damage is tied to like the physical card. Yeah. So, m- no matter what it transforms into, it's still commander damage. To the point where if you hit somebody with it and then DJ stole Lazav from me and hit the same player with it, that would count as the same commander damage because it doesn't care about which player controls it, it cares about what card is hitting you. I thought uh, Necroticus is another oh, yeah. really good card with Lazav because you're going to be milling a bunch of creatures in your graveyard. And if Lazav becomes the ooze, it gets all the activated abilities of all the creatures in the graveyard. That seems pretty cool. It seems like there's a lot of combo potential here, too. Um, I'm thinking like Pillipala, yeah. which basically allows you to untap to create mana. And so there's a lot of room for shenanigans in this kind of deck. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing about this Lazav, as opposed to the old one, is it can only target your own graveyard, which is a little disappointing. And also, you're not cheating the mana cost of things. You have to actually pay them. But I think the way that you sort of break it is you cheat the downside of creatures like Phage, like Phyrexian Dreadnought, that sort of enter the battlefield. That's the... That's, that's the cost. Yeah, that's the downside on the card, is is something bad when it enters the battlefield. Because Lazav, again, is not entering the battlefield when you when you copy a creature from the graveyard. It, the card is still in play, and... It, there's no ETB triggered. Reminds me a little bit of like Mirage Mirror a little bit where yes. it's like the, you don't get the ETBs. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to be already on the battlefield and copy something. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Uh, I like the take a lot. All right. The next one is another returning guild leader. Niv-Mizzet Perrin. Listen to this mana cost, This Josh. mana cost, what the heck? <laughs> blue, 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 red, red, red. Trip blue, trip red. Wow. That is some serious mana cost. It is a 5-5 legendary dragon wizard. This spell can't be countered. 
Of course, the dragon is flying. And whenever you draw a card, Niv-Mizzet Perrin deals one damage to any target. That's like, like a Fire classic Niv-Mizzet effect. Yep. Whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, you draw a card. So I, I think there's some interesting things you could do with this, but I, I bet 90% of the decks we see with this Niv-Mizzet will be mostly the same as the old Niv-Mizzet. They will include Curiosity and Ophidian Eye, and they will have that out to be able to just kill people out of nowhere with and that awesome two-card combo. Uh, the the Mind Moil and the Arjun, the Shifting yeah. Flame, uh, so that you just play a few Forgotten spells creation. and suddenly you're amassing a huge amount of cards. It's a fun deck to play. It's this uh, the Niv-Mizzet, sort of the Nekusar style. It feels uh, like we have so many of those decks now. I mean, Locust God has a bunch of the same cards in you're it. You're right, and the Locust God would go really well in this deck too. Um, I think that maybe if you have a Locust God or a Nekusar deck and you kind of like the pieces, maybe you've spent a bit, little bit of money on it, uh, you might try out this dragon and you might really enjoy it because it does combine the old dragon with sort of this new uh, protection of whenever anyone plays a spell, you draw a card. You kind of storm off a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's the sort of most powerful way to build this deck is storm, for sure. Because think of your your rituals, your minor geysers and your high tides, they draw you cards. Yeah. And those are also ways to to actually cast Niv-Mizzet. Because I think a lot of people are going to overlook the downside of a blue, 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 red, red, red commander. Here's the thing. You can't cast this ahead of time with a lot of the things that normally would allow us to. So... Soul Ring doesn't help you. Mana Crypt doesn't help you. Mana Vault doesn't help you. Grim Monolith doesn't help you. Mindstone doesn't help you. Thought Vessel doesn't help you. Worn Power Stone doesn't help you. Thran Dynamo doesn't help you. You have to create six colored mana to cast this on anything before turn six. And I think people are downplaying how... And you're not in green. So you have to have Felwar Stone, Signet, Talismans. Now what? You're totally right <laughs> on all fronts, okay? But you don't, in this type of deck, you don't necessarily need to slam this on turn six and be done. In fact, if you put this down on turn six, someone goes to kill it, and then you just draw a single card, you're upset. You want to no, play no, you this. you want to play this on turn four or five. That's, from, that's my point. And then have it open to, I think instead, you've got a pretty controlling deck. You have a little bit, you want to be able to play it and storm off. You want to be able to play it and then get some advantage out of this whenever you if play some If you're not playing your spells. commander until turn nine. But then when you play the it, game's you almost the over. game. So you play it and win the game that turn? It is It is a very powerful combo enabler. I think the way you do that is you high tide or mana guys are on turn four or five and do that. And then that's going to be a very powerful deck, I think. The Storm deck with Niv-Mizzet, with the Rituals. playing and That's how you play Niv-Mizzet early. And better than... Um, what's the other... Is it one that's a, that's a commander that gains experience counters? Mizzix. Mizzix of the is Yeah, probably not like better that. than that. Yeah, I don't my think guess. so either. Probably not as good as Kess, who's even better than Mizzix. Oh, you're at right. Storm. Yidris is a Storm deck, probably better. Uh, but yeah, I think the Storm... Listen, I don't like Storm that much. I'll just put that out there just because it's kind of boring when you're playing against it. And so, but that's going to be the powerful version of this deck. The other version I think is just going to look a lot like Firemind's, uh, Firemind decks, which is the Locust God deck, kind of. Yeah. So while it's cool and it puts together some cool things, to me it just doesn't do anything that different than stuff that's already happening out there. I agree. It's going to have a lot of the similar components to a lot of other Izzet decks. It's not breaking any new ground, but I think that those Izzet decks are fun too. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's going to see a lot of play. I mean, I do like playing Gitaxian probes and brainstorms <laughs> and drawing two cards and stuff off those. Oh my like, gosh. <laughs> that does sound fun. 
Okay. Uh, the next one is Tajik Legion's Edge. He's back, Tajik. And he's going to the club. Tajik is shiny in this. He he is dressed to the nines. Seriously, this guy must be in LA. He's one red white for a three-two legendary creature human soldier has haste. So three mana three two with haste. Has mentor. Again, if you attack with Tajik and another creature with power two or less, then it, he can put a one-one counter on that creature. Tajik says, prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to other creatures you control. Other creatures you control. Tajik can still take non-combat damage. And then you can pay a red and a white, and Tajik gains first strike until end of turn, which, sure. Um, Interesting. It provides a level of protection for your army, even though Tajik himself is not... Uh, it's still allowed to be taken out, kind of. Because the old Tajik was indestructible himself. But didn't protect the rest of your army. This one's like, I learned I'd rather protect my <laughs> friends. And, you know, if I have to go down, so be it. It's interesting. I like the direction that's going. I like that if they're forcing you in Boros to commit a bunch to the board and attack, at least they're giving you a some level of protection against... I mean, is it much protection, right? Because... It's only non-combat damage. It's not board wipes. So Wrath of God et al. still takes out all your creatures. Now, Blasphemous Act doesn't. And like, we, we can play Blasphemous Act. Correct. Or something like Pyrohemia. Ooh. Or, you know, Earthquakes and those types of things. And yes, I think that's probably what this deck ultimately looks like. It is it plays a bunch of those effects and it's saying I'm going to get a decent sized board and I'm going to wipe everything except my creatures with blasphemous axe, earthquake and then I'm going to attack. Unfortunately, Tajik dies in those instances, but Tajik also only costs 3, so at least the first time you recast is not that big a deal. Do you know what I like uh paired with this? Hmm. Uh the the loot, the one that gives plus two plus two to and your commander gives it and gives it indestructible. Yes, Bastion Protector is two and a white for a three three human soldier. It says commander creatures you control get plus two plus two and have indestructible. That would be pretty good with Tajik. I agree. The next card is Tristani Discordant. Tristani's back. Three green and a white for a one four. Okay, Dryad. Other creatures you control get plus one plus one. When Tristani Discordant enters the battlefield, create two 1-1 one, one white sh soldier creature tokens with lifelink. At the beginning of your end step, each player gains control of all creatures they own. This is a strange card, Josh. I mean, is it? It's Well, it's not is it. It's Celestia. Oh. But <laughs> that, you know that joke was going to come up at least once this episode. I mean... It's not strange. It's just a weird combination of stuff. And really just that last sentence. Right? I like the anthem. Right. Uh, creating soldiers is pretty normal in Slesnia. But what's this about gaining back control of all of your creatures? It's not you. It's everyone gains back control. The beginning of your end step, each player gains control of all creatures they own. It's so, a homeward path. Sort effect. of. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like they're like, well, this card needs something else. But what can we give it that's not like... Because like, how often does that even matter? Especially in a token I don't, deck. And I also don't necessarily really want to hose the control magic deck at the table. Like, is that is that what I want to go after? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I would concentrate on the fact that she's a five mana, one four, that has a, an anthem, plus one, plus one to everything, and basically brings two two twos with lifelink with her. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, 
I like the anthem on it. Yeah. I think that's a powerful effect to have a, an anthem leave two dudes behind. I like that. Yeah. How do you compare her to the old Tristani? The old Tristani uh, has a place in everyone's heart. People love the old Tristani. You can gain crazy amounts of life. You can you can put together amazing proliferate targets. Uh, it doesn't. It isn't the same commander. Like it isn't. It doesn't. It doesn't hit the same notes. This is I a mean, go. This is a go wide anthem effect. The other one was a cool life gain, big token proliferator. True, although it's still token based, so there's going to be, and it's in the same colors. But this is like, but no, no, thing, this I, is little tokens. Anthems want you to close, go wide, closer to I don't know Reese or something maybe, but yeah, because anthem anthems by their nature want you to go wide. This does create stuff, and Slesnia does that. They do want to go wide. The old Tristani really valued big tokens and big things because it gained you life as they entered the battlefield. So the bigger things really meant. But come on, you played. And then Plenty of games them. either with or against the Tristani deck where they actually do make a ton of tokens, right? They untap yeah. her a bunch of times and like do crazy stuff and they have parallel lives and stuff out and they do go wide. They just also go wide with, with seven sevens, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that is that is true. Yeah. This card doesn't seem that great to me. It's It seems like it goes index, but building a deck around it because it, it seems more difficult to break, to do anything crazy, right? Because it's not crazy. Yeah. It's, all, all this, it's an there's anthem. A lot. Anthems are, are powerful, but very normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all the stuff kind of adds up to a lot of stuff, but it, none of it is particularly... Do you know how insane this is going to be in limited? Oh, yeah. This, this thing's crazy in limited. <laughs> you, get, you, get a, <laughs> you get a five, eight, four of the power has lifelink, <laughs> and it anthems everything else you have? Yeah. It's nuts. Okay. That is all the legendary creatures. There's quite a few of them. What from, do you think of them, Josh? I think there's some cool ones. I don't know that there's any that I'm like, wow. I I think that the power level of these is not super duper high, but they're interesting and they're very niche. Now, let's just look at them really quick here. I'll read them really I'll read them and then I would like you to tell me who among them you are most excited to build around. Okay. There's Aurelia, Imara, no. Etrada, Izoni, Lazav, Nivmizit, Tajik. And Tristani. Hmm, that's really interesting. Is it interesting, and you're and you're buying for time because none of them jump out at you as particularly exciting, or because you're trying to decide between a couple that do? I think I have to be honest. I'm not super excited about building around a lot of these. I I like the mental exercise of Lazav. I think that's really cool, but I don't necessarily want to build that deck. I also like what's this one? Atrada. I also like hit the, counters. Yeah, I like the hit counters. I like that kind of deck. Um, I don't like the mental gym, the gymnastics that I have to go through moving that commander around to be able to pull that off. It's again more of like a cool thing. Uh, I think the one that I'm the most excited about is um, your the one that you did the Amara. Amara. Interesting. It's funny because whenever we do game nights, I always pick last. I always allow the guests. Well, when Jimmy's on it, we sort of, you know, once it gets down to the last two of us, it just depends. It's like, we, all right, what do you want to do? We're yeah. like, yeah, is there one you really want? And a lot of times it's like, yeah, I want this one. Okay, I'll take a different one. But if there's not, we'll just sort of, you know, rock, paper, scissors or whatever. So, And I got Amara. So <laughs> that was not the one that anybody wanted. Um, so back at you, what are you thinking? Lazav is probably the one out of the bunch that is the most interesting to me just because I feel like there's more tricky stuff you can do. Niv-Mizzet, I think, is easily the most powerful. And the Amara deck, I mean, I've already built it and played it. so And it is actually a fun deck. So, you know, 
But I, I think I'm like you. I'm not. Eh, I'm not like super stoked about anything in there. there there's some stuff. I, I may build Lazav or something, just because it's fun to build new decks. But I'm saving my hype for the bulk of the cards that we're talking about. Yes, today. there are some awesome cards that are going to go in the 99. Okay. Speaking of which, I'll give you that one. Uh, we're going no, go to go on way too small. I can't read that to the new planeswalkers. Oh, right, right. I'm going to read the planeswalkers. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. There are lights shining in my eyes. I've been working super hard. A lot of excuses. Okay. It's called, and I'm old. Yeah. I was going to say, it's called being old DJ. Okay. There's two new planeswalkers in the set. Uh, one is Ral. Is it Viceroy? It's three, a blue and a red five mana total for a five loyalty planeswalker. Plus one, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Negative three, Ral deals damage to target creature equal to the total number of instant and sorcery cards you own in exile or in your graveyard. It's interesting, <laughs> it counts exile, so if you jump started, flashback, oh, cool. it'll still yeah. count those cards, yeah. And then Ral's um, ultimate is negative eight. You get an emblem with... Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, this emblem deals four damage to any target, and you draw two cards. Okay. Okay, I like that ultimate. It's good, but it's not win the game immediately. You still have to cast quite a few spells for That's that. That's okay. As long as I have that emblem, I'm fine Like letting the game play out, and I can just keep drawing cards. Yeah, I'm just saying, Like as far as <laughs> ultimates go, it's yeah. like... It's like I can envision as an opponent defeating that emblem. Yeah, I agree. There are some emblems where you're like, if they ever get that, we lose. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't protect itself particularly well. I really wish that it that it could do that damage to the face. The, the sorceries, instants and sorceries in your graveyard in exile. Yeah, it only hits a creature. Yeah, because then you might be able to just dome somebody for 30. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that, that would actually be way better. It's interesting because we saw this with Liliana in M19 that they're starting to go towards more niche mm -hmm. uh, planeswalkers. And this one... It's negative does nothing if you don't have instances or sorceries in your graveyard. So you'd have to build around it to some extent. It's not like a lot of other planeswalkers where they're just good. Yeah. So, I mean, you do get to look at the top two cards and put one into your hand and one into your graveyard so you can kind of start to fill it. But, I mean, if you do that, I guess it has six loyalty at that point. It might live. It's it's five mana, though. Yeah, it doesn't seem that great. Yeah. Okay, the next planeswalker is Vraska Golgari Queen. The art on this one is sweet. It's two, a green, and a black for a four loyalty planeswalker, so four mana, four loyalty, plus two, you may sacrifice another permanent. If you do, gain a life and draw a card. That's plus two, brings her up to six, and she's four CMC. Her negative three is destroy target non-land permanent with converted mana cost three or less, so it's abrupt decay, kind of. You can take out lands, too. Oh, no, it's a, no, sorry, non -land. it says non-land. My bad. Just read the card, Josh. <laughs> um, but still, so it straight up is abrupt decay. The four mana abrupt decay and leaves her at one loyalty after you do that. But it's an abrupt decay that could possibly then sacrifice a permanent and draw your card. Okay, whatever. Her negative nine. You're just talking yourself into a hole before finishing yeah. the card. Her, her negative nine, her <laughs> ultimate is you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. All right, I love that. <laughs> Alternate win conditions, DJ. They just get you. Um, it's interesting because on this one, even with doubling season out, She'll only come in with eight loyalty, so you can't ultimate right away. I wonder if they're starting to do that on green planeswalkers or ones that touch green on purpose. In our format, we care about taking out anything, not just CMC three or less. Yeah. So I think that you would rather play normal Vraska for one more mana and just destroy something, right? 
Wind Grace's judgment costs one more mana than this and destroys something from everybody. At instant speed. At instant speed. And that's pretty much if you use the abrupt decay part of Raska, she's dying for sure because she'll be at one loyalty and anybody can attack her and kill her. And the plus two is sacrifice a permanent to draw, gain a life and draw a card is just... I like I do like that in general, but, but not, not on, on a card. A I want it on like an enchantment. Or yeah, something I don't like want that. it on a card they can attack and kill. Yeah, so I want to do that multiple times because you're you're still sacrificing something. You're still paying a cost. Yeah, so we're out on Braska is what you're saying. We're out on it. We're in on the next card, so we're gonna move into the uh, non legendary, well, non legend cards. Basically, the planeswalkers are gone, the legendary creatures are gone, and we're gonna go again by alphabetical order. And this next card is, it's got to be the best card in the set. <sighs> It's probably the best card from like the last couple of sets. I mean, I can't think of a, I can't think of a card outside of a master set, like in, in a long time that measures up to this. This card is insane. So here we go. Assassin's Trophy, uh, black and a green for an instant. Destroy target permanent and opponent controls. The controller, <laughs> the controller may search their library for a basic land card and put it onto the battlefield. Then shuffle their library. Destroy. Target permanent. We did not read that incorrectly. It does not say non-land, so it can blow up lands. It's instant. it's black and a green, so it's two mana. It's an instant. Now, it's path to exile, except the land does come into play untapped for your opponent. That is something important to know. A little bit. When's the last time that you cared when you path to exile something? You don't. You never have. Now, it doesn't exile. <laughs> it doesn't exile. It okay, destroys... Yeah. But Path to Exile... You're comparing this against one of the premier removal the, spells, and uh, this says just permanent. This is borderline, probably... No, I'm willing to say it's better than Path to Exile. If oh, I, I think it's way say, better. Yeah, if you had... And Path to Exile is one of the best white cards, probably a top three or four most played. It's expensive, so that's the one thing that keeps it down. Sword Supply Shares gets more play, but there are fringe cases you can path yourself. You Need can't. A this has opponent's spell control. better than this. Yeah, this is... I mean, Utter End, I play the, the crap out of. Anguish on Making, I play... If, if a deck has those colors, yeah. I play that card. This is better by quite a bit. Yeah. This card is two mana. Any permanent. I think everyone knows that this is really good. Yeah. It's going to be expensive, too, because it's going to be really good in standard. So. It's really good in standard. It's really good in modern. I think Jun's coming back. I have a Jun deck that I haven't played in a long time. And this is going to single-handedly bring you back? Probably could. It might. Yeah. The boogeyman cards that you have to kill, this kills it. The only thing is if it's got indestructible. And, you know, that's the only thing you could say about it. But, yeah. No, this card's great. It's this amazing. card's great. You're going to want... This card will be in every single deck that plays these colors, um, barring budget. Yeah, That's the only thing you say about it. It's going to be expensive. Be expensive. Yeah. It's, it's already sold out at past $30 or something like that. Oh, jeez. It'll come down when it comes out because it, it is will, a rare. It's not a mythic. It's a rare, and it is in open print. Like The way yeah. that the supply and demand works, this can only rise so high. And one thing that's really good is that people are going to open boxes like crazy because of this chase card. And that means that all of your awesome commanders are going to be super cheap. All the other cards that we talk about that are really good for our format will bring down the price because this set will be opened like crazy almost on the back of this card in Shocklands. Yeah, that card's ridiculous. We got Windgrace's Judgment and this in back-to-back -back sets. Seems like, man, who over at Wizards like plays Golgari all the time? Feels like they're cheating. <laughs> it's great. Okay, the next card is Beast Whisperer. Very simple. Two green green, four mana for a 2-3 Elf Druid. It says whenever you cast a creature spell, 
draw a card. It's one half of Zendikar Resurgent. It's a Primordial Sage or Soul of the Harvest. But for way less mana. And that's good. You want those to come down early because yep. then you want to play creatures after it. Yep. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's an elf too. Yeah. You know, people play Primordial Sage and um, in Soul of the Harvest or whatever in um, in their elf decks because yeah. they play a bunch of elves after it. And so now this actually has elf synergy, comes down earlier. This is a slam dunk for so many different decks. People are going to be very excited about this card. It's great. You know, uh, this oh, card is, this. is near and dear to your heart. So this is the Jumbo Commander preview card. Yes, it's Bounty Agent. One in a white for a 2-2 human soldier. It has Vigilance. It also has tap, sacrifice, bounty agent, destroy, target, legendary, permanent. That's an artifact, creature, or enchantment. So it's interesting because it, it tricks you. It says destroy, target, legendary, permanent. That <laughs> is a... because So many people were saying that exact thing, and I did it too. I was like, <gasps> okay, it's still good. Don't worry. <laughs> but I wish it just said target, legendary, permanent, period. I mean, being able to nuke a planeswalker would be pretty powerful. It would make this card. What? You got to tap good. it. Yeah, it would be good, but it wouldn't be like ridiculous. Here's the thing it only gets legendary artifacts, legendary creatures, or legendary enchantments. Now, legendary creature is on there, and we play commander, so you're usually going to have a target. But I think the downside of having to hit legendaries, it would have been totally fine if it just hit legendary permits. So if it hit planeswalkers and hit lands, lands is a big one. It is. Being able to take out their guy's cradle or their Itlamok these days or whatever, the, what's Storm of the Vaults turns into, that Tolarian uh, Something for us. Academy. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, the, there's more of those that you want to take out now, and this being able to do it, I don't know. I don't know what you said in your preview video. What did you say about it? Go. Basically. <laughs> you know Basically what? Wait, what wait, I said wait. Hold my... on, hold on. Oh, okay. Type Jumbo Commander into the search bar in YouTube and go find his preview card video, and then that will give you all the information you need. We don't have to talk about it that That's much. That's right. Remain in mystery. And then go watch my video where I will spoil how amazing this card is. It's no Mangara of Corndor. I might mention Mangara of Corndor in my video. Oh, you might. And uh, talk about how this compares. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, l listen... It's it's fine, right? But it's not slam dunk goes in every white deck. No, it goes in it goes in very specific white decks. Yeah. All right. The next card is camaraderie. It's four green and a white for a sorcery. You gain X life and draw X cards where X is the number of creatures you control. Also, creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn. It doesn't say the word also. I'm I added also. <laughs> But it does also do that, so I was not incorrect. Josh is putting his priorities in place because he's like, oh, draw cards and gain lights. I, I guess there's this incidental plus one, plus one on there too. I guess if you also. have a lot of creatures, then you might as well pump them up plus one, plus one. This it feels seems... like that is a little bit tacked on, doesn't it? Just the plus one, plus one? Yeah. It seems good. Um, Pretty straightforward. If you're playing a token deck that's going to get a lot of creatures into play, it's kind of like the Rishkar's expertise. Well, Shamanic Revelation is the card you're thinking. Yeah. Of. Yeah. Shamanic Revelation draws cards equal to the number of things. For gains ferocious. life. Good. Yep. That's yeah. absolutely right. Uh, and so that card doesn't see a ton of play. Uh, it's also one mana cheaper in just mono green, but it is powerful. And a lot of budget players play it because it can amass a huge amount of cards uh, the problem is, is that there's like a risk reward thing there. Sometimes when you need to draw cards, you don't want to rely on also having an awesome board. Because uh, usually when you really need cards is when something's gone badly. Yeah, for and you're you, behind. And, like you uh, don't they've wiped your board. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it uh, this can go in token decks. I think it's fine. Yeah, 
Okay, I want to. This one's interesting, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, uh, this. Oh my gosh, I like this card too. Chance for glory. This one is a Jimmy card. One right, white, red for an instant. Creatures you control gain indestructible. Take an extra turn after this one. At the beginning of your next end step, uh, sorry, uh, of that turn's end step, you lose the game. So it's final fortune plus indestructible on your stuff, right? Yeah, indestructible. Take an extra turn at the end of that turn, you lose the game. Okay, notice creatures you control gain indestructible. Period. There's no until end of turn after that, right? Is this the same? Okay, so they is that true? Because they errated that other card. I, because they errated that other card. I have not seen any errata for chance for glory. So what we're, until what we're I, talking about is they made an is it card where it says change the power and toughness of of two creatures. Two creatures, yeah. And they're like, it, "Oops, my bad. That's until end of turn." Yeah, I don't think this one is. Because it wants to give you the indestructible on both your turns. Okay. And it's giving you an extra turn. I'm, I'm trusting making, you and getting excited now. I'm making an assumption because... Because we're reading the card. Right, because I'm reading the card. and <laughs> we're, it would We're make, trusting the physical cardboard. What? <laughs> well, and it would make sense. I right? Agree. You get indestructible for both the extra... For both the turns. I this agree. turn and the turn you get before you die at the end of that turn. I mean, obviously... The first thing that comes to mind for me is Sundial of the Infinite because it will stop this losing the turn thing. But the indestructible <laughs> part, I get to keep. And there's no way to interact with that once it's happened. It's Do kind of like an emblem. We have a bunch of these now with Sundial of the Infinite because we have Final Fortune, and right? Like time and stop Glorious and, End yeah. and this now so that we have the ability to like just end the turn and suddenly just take weird extra turn spells in red. I think it's great. Uh, if you can do stuff like that, it's also I've definitely died to Jimmy Final Fortuning. Just he needed just one more turn. He plays Final Fortune and is sometimes yeah. He That's just, yeah. He just needed one more turn and it's a very red spell. And it's 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 red red <laughs> for just the extra turn and then you lose at the end of that turn part. But it's very cheap, and so a lot of times you can do stuff, do that extra turn, finish everybody off. Definitely, I've died to that. Definitely, he has had it in his hand at the end of games when he couldn't cast it. Mm. So there's an upside downside, but that's a red player for you. This is not a boring card. Like sometimes no. we might have like been like, oh, some of these cards are very Golgari. They're very boring. Like we've seen this before. We've seen this before, but this is in like a, this is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's an instant too. So you can sort of get in between a couple of players mm. turns, right? I like it. Yeah. Hey, Josh, do you know how you're going to cast niv Visit? Right. So the next card is a reprint. <laughs> it's Chromatic Lantern. It's the Commander's Brew, I think, preview card. Three mana for an artifact. It says lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. And then it says tap, add one mana of any color. So it's a three mana rock that allows you to tap uh, all your lands for whatever color you feel like. Instant fixing all over the place. Uh, what was this up to? 20-ish. Oh my gosh. Pretty expensive. I, think, I like to give that to the budget guys. <laughs> You're like, here you go, guys. You, go, you can guys. actually start this brewing with this again. going to be $5 for a little while. <laughs> yeah. By the way. Still outside their budget. <laughs> when it gets down to $5 or whatever, you know, buy a bunch of them. Because yeah. it's going to climb right back up. Because this is the kind of thing that people like to have. I think they play it too much because it has a convenience factor. I think there's plenty of times a Chromatic Lantern is in your deck. And technically, it's not as powerful as some other options. It's a but, monolith, essentially. But... It allows you to not have to think about it when you tap your lands and like what I call tapping like an adult when I'm like, okay, make sure that I leave the right colors open and blah, blah, blah. With Chromatic Lantern, you don't have to do that. If your mana base is properly 
properly put together, this is a mana lith, yeah. and that's unacceptable in Commander. Just Dark Steel Ingot, just better because it's indestructible, harder to destroy. Yeah. But again, it hey, convenience is absolutely a thing. I, I, but I still play. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just trash talk it. I'm like, like, don't look at my decks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna read this one qu quickly because I had one question about it for you. So it's three and a green for a sorcery. Search your library for up to two basic land cards and or gate cards, put them on a battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. So this is explosive vegetation, except you can get gates with it. Okay. So my question is, would having this card in your deck, would you run a couple of gates? Are gates still not worth it? I tend to be okay with a couple of gates if that's what you've got for your fixing. And I might switch some of my refuge lands to gates if I was running this. But is one card enough to even think about that? I also don't like refuge lands. That's the problem. So if here's the thing: if you're going from if you're going from refuge lands to gates, then yeah, I would I would switch down to gates, which and are then, which are categorically worse. Yeah, and then be able to play this because this effect is quite good. And you don't have to switch them all. You just need three or four, right? You want to be able to get at least one gate, maybe two with this. But overall, I don't like refuge lands. I don't like gates. I wouldn't run this. I mean, come on. When you got thirty decks, the the last few have some refuge lands for me. I you don't, don't have, do it. Don't Look at you. Lands. Wow. 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 Dude, the scry lands are so good. Like there's so many really good cycling lands. Like there's a lot of really good lands out there that do way more. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, the next one. The I'll next one is citywide bust. One white, white for a sorcery, destroy all creatures with toughness four or greater. So it's, um, this is retribution weird. of the meek, but for toughness, not but power. For toughness. Yeah. White usually punishes power, not toughness. So this is a little bit strange. Yeah, I'm trying to think of if there's been an equivalent, but I can't think of one. Retribution of the Meek is the closest thing, and that's not a cheap card. And so. the Elspeth, it's it is on the reserve list. Yeah, but, but the that's Elspeth, power. it but it's power too. Yeah. Uh, Dusk Dawn is power. Yep. Um, the Elspeth minus is power. White has a lot of cards like Fell the Mighty. It's all power based. This is a strange one dealing with toughness. It those. Wipes tend to be very good in the decks they're in because they're one-sided generally. Mm -hmm. Generally, your bunch of tokens are all small creatures and you're basically wiping everybody else's board and yours is intact. And this only costs three, so pretty good. Maybe, in, would you play this in a, like a weenie deck? I mean, what would you? Yeah, I think a, a token deck. Tristani or Amara probably likes it. In fact, it was okay. it's in my Amara deck. Ooh, very nice. Okay, the next one is Crush Contraband. It's three, they're really cracking down there's a lot of policing going on there citywide bus they're crushing the contraband it's three and a white for an instant choose one or both exile target artifact exile target enchantment you know josh this city is like literally full of gangs it's yeah. all gangs yeah true like you know you're clearly golgari or is it i don't know what I'm you're doing it? over what there you, <laughs> it's a steam mitts come yeah, on okay sorry it. i'm just looking over there okay <laughs> That's but the this mirror. <laughs> you're right i don't know what i was I don't know what I'm saying. I was I was stunned by actually how great this card is and how much play it's going to see, because we know that a return to dust. Yep, that's exactly is a what I'm saying. staple. Yep, and return to dust has a downside to do what this does. Yeah, return to dust is two white white. Uh, you can basically if you play it as a, it's an instant, but if you play it as a sorcery, you can destroy two target exile two target artifacts or enchantments. I guess the thing you could say is crush contraband can't destroy two artifacts or two enchantments it has exactly. to be one of each but it exiles and it's instant and you can do it at instant speed whereas return of the dust if you want to get two things you have to do it at sorcery speed basically i think it's great we oftentimes uh need multiple targets we have to see 
I'm interested to play this and see where I'm like, oh, I really wish that this was a different card and I could get two artifacts or get two enchantments. Basically, like I, I really wish situation. you have to check and see if I really wish it was Return to Dust specifically. Return to Dust is white, white, too. This is only three. Or three Sil white. Sylvan Reclamation has been a card uh, yeah. that I really like, too. That's uh, It's one more mana, three green, white, more restrictive mana cost. But it has that basic land cycling on it, which I really like because it's like even more modal. Yeah, that is a good card. Okay, this next one is is pretty cool. Uh, something I think I actually asked for a few episodes ago for Boros and Mono White. Uh, oh, it was in our... Um, you literally did ask for this. Yeah, it's... it's. I wish it was slightly more efficient, but it's still cool. It's Dawn of Hope. It's one in white for an enchantment. Whenever you gain life, you may pay two if you do draw a card. And then you can pay three in a white and create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token with lifelink. I like Hope this. has come. The dawn of hope, Josh. You did it. You asked and then you received. Wouldn't it be awesome if the uh, character in this was named Dawn? <laughs> so you think it's like the sunrise was... No, no, it's actually just this person. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so, yeah, this is... It seems good to me. And Mono White and Boros could maybe use a card like this. I wish it wasn't pay two, but okay, we're nitpicking a little. At least you can turn your life gain into card draw, and you can create life linkers with this card, which could gain you the life. Now, four mana for a one one is not something I ever really want to be doing. No, but still, it's it's still a benefit right there, and it's pretty accepted that two mana, two generic mana, is a card draw. Um, That's cheap for white, anyway. Yeah. You know, if you're in blue, that's like overplaying for the But a lot of the times they, they you can kind of think about it in terms of like, okay, like what is this this draw card added on? Like should be two generic mana. And so that can help you figure figure it out. Like you see this all the time where you have like a two mana two two. Yeah. And then you're like, oh well they have draw card tacked on. So it's instead a four it costs mana two, four two. mana two two draw card. Unless you're a mole drifter and then somebody screwed up somewhere. Exactly. Um <laughs> And so that that basically gives you a framework for understanding why Moldrifter is so good. I also like that this only costs two mana. Yeah. So you get it out early, and then you know you can kind of take advantage um, as you as you need to. It's a lot of these spells cost five mana. It's just hard to get them out there. Yeah. This is similar to Well of Lost Dreams, yes. which does cost more mana. Well of Lost Dreams lets you draw X X by paying X by when paying you gain X, X life. for for X life. Yeah. yeah. So this is not this is, cares more about little bits of life gain, but. I I still like it a lot, and it has that added value of making some little soldier dudes. Okay, this is an interesting one. Devious cover-up. Two blue-blue for an instant. Counter target spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. And then you may shuffle up to four target cards from your graveyard into your library. You pick this, Josh. I actually like this quite a bit. I have a Nekusar deck, and I find that, like... There are decent number of games where my win conditions kind of get removed a couple of times. Mm. And then I'm like, crap, I need to get those back. But I don't want to put a bunch of spells in my deck that just get things out of my graveyard. This seems like a good, like, uh, counter that, exile it, get four things back into my deck. Okay. I can see how it's, it's, it's narrow. You have a place for it. I don't know if I'm going to play that at all. I think I need my four mana counter spells to really do a lot. Yeah, I think, again, you need it in a deck that has a lot of instant speed interaction so that you can choose to use it. Because if it's your only instant speed thing, it's not good to just hold up four mana to only do that. You want to be able to be like, eh, if I have to, I'll use this. But if I don't, I'll do this other thing. Okay. okay. Uh, we have Disinformation Campaign. One blue-black for an enchantment. When Disinformation Campaign enters the battlefield, you draw a card and each opponent discards a card. 
So three mana, card advantage. Sounds good. Uh, whenever you surveil, return disinformation campaign to its owner's hand. So if you surveil, you can put it back in your hand. It's pretty brutal the second time you cast it. Oh, yeah. The second time you cast it, everyone's discarded two cards and you've drawn two. But here's my thinking. Blue is a blink color. If you can blink this thing. I'm not too. Yeah, this is just brutal. <laughs> the, like blinking it. it is brutal. Like pretty soon they're not going to have any cards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm glad you identified it. It's literally a great blink target. And the fact that it replaces itself, it does generate, generate card advantage. You don't need to go deep on this surveil thing. You can just enjoy the card advantage, blink it when you have a chance to blink it, and then it'll just pay off. I can even see games where you like bounce it yourself with capsize type stuff and just to start stripping hands and stuff like that. Hand disruption is pretty bad once you get about three cards deep. Josh's mind imagines games like that. I'm going to capsize lock my own enchantment to empty your hand. Well, and, I, when, and you can, when you have a ton of mana and you can capsize lock somebody, you're going to do that. But sometimes oh, yeah. you're like, I just have six. Well, I'll just do that. Just imagine if you can blink this on their draw step. Right. If you have six mana, capsizing one of their things is not that great. Yeah. But but blinking this back to your hand or bouncing this back to your hand and then replaying it is, is I think, better. Now, if you, oh, have, yeah. if you have 500 mana, just bounce all their lands and everything else and then win. Okay. This is an interesting one. It's kind of um, well. There was that one where I love this. You card. you tap your creatures and they turn into angels. This is sort of a cousin to that. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Okay, it's called Divine Visitation. Three white white for an enchantment. If one or more creature tokens would be created under your control, that many four four white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance are created instead. Hey, look! All those angels are visiting dawn. Upgrade your soldiers into angels. I think that's Don. Maybe Don put a helmet on. Yes. <laughs> so if you would make a token, you get a 4-4 four, four angel token instead of whatever token you were going to make. It seems really good. It's it's a cousin to Anointed Procession and Doubling Season, right? Because if you were going to make one soldier and instead you make a 4-4 four, four angel, that's actually better than making two soldiers. Yeah. So... Yeah. I mean, I I love this. It does it does nothing on its own. No. And yet I love it anyways. But doubling season does nothing on its own. Uh, this is not doubling season because of the planeswalker <laughs> thing. But anointing procession does nothing on its own. You're absolutely right. And I think this is similar to anointing. I'm procession. wondering if we can reach a critical mass of these sort of enabler cards, and then we suddenly have anointed procession and parallel lives and doubling season in this thing, and then like I feel like stuff. we're at the critical mass. You don't need more than five of those because you don't want to cast. You don't ever want to draw three of them. Yeah. Still, I'm, I want to play with this card. Yeah. Well, if you have Anointed Procession and that out. <laughs> All right. The next one is Doom Whisperer. It's three black black for a Nightmare Demon. It's a 6-6 six, six with Flample. That's Flying and Trample. And it says, pay two life, colon, surveil two. So if you want to pay four life, you can surveil two twice. Six life, surveil two three times, and so on and so forth. This is the Fair Grizzle brand, I guessed. It's real good. It's really good. I I think that it's, a lot of other formats are going to take way more advantage of it than we are. Uh, but we have a lot of life to play around with this surveil. They're going to take incremental advantage of it. We're going to turn it into an immediate win. This Very is a specific pay, decks, yeah. Yeah, this is a pay 30 life surveil to 15 <laughs> times. That just fills up my yard. 30 cards just straight into your graveyard, probably. Win. There's definitely decks that can and will do things like that. Never mind life gain and things will allow you to up that number or whatever. Uh, 
anything that has a relevant ability that you don't have to tap, you can do with your life, basically. <laughs> They've done this before. Yeah, just for Every time it's been brand. super broken. Yeah. Like Grizzlebrand, pay life. Necropotence, pay life. Uh, Phyrexian mana, paying life. Whenever you can pay life and... Channel. It's just, yeah. Fast bond. Yeah. This is just... This card's really, really good. It's not going to go in every single deck, but the decks that want it, it will be a house. It'll be a, a comes down, you win. Razaketh, mm. similar type of thing, I think. Not in what it'll do, but just the way that it's going to like. You can and this see is the raw five mana. The yeah. It just allows you to search if you, you know, there's a lot of cards you, or a lot of decks you've probably seen where they're just trying to get a certain card or a certain couple of cards into their graveyard. Mm -hmm. This is the one that does it. Okay. I love I love that card. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. And plus, it's a 6-6 six, six with Flample. Josh, everyone's going to ask you, does that go in your Shadowbone Apostles deck? Uh, probably not. Yeah, probably not. No. But you could surveil them all to your graveyard and then whip them all back into the battlefield. Sure, sure. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> the next one is Dream Eater. And by the way, hopefully the art is super big in your face because it's... Have you seen that? Ooh, it is it's sweet. sweet and creepy. Uh, Dream Eater is four blue blue for a four three nightmare sphinx. It's got flash. I love flash. It's got flying. And when Dream Eater enters, they don't play sphinx at the end? Okay. When Dream Eater, oh, it's just Dream Eater, enters the battlefield, surveil four. Surveil four. That's a lot of surveil. That's a lot of surveil. When you do, you may return target non-land permanent an opponent controls to its owner's hand. So you also bounce a non-land permanent too. It's not even creature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is surveil for so much. Flash is awesome. The blinky decks will love this card. First of all, I, I love this. Flash card it in, bounce something, surveil for. You know, even if you're not playing with your graveyard, surveil for is great. Just find the best card out of your top four. Blink it with Brago. Bounce another thing. Surveil for again. I like it's flash, so that you're the, the downside. You can say is it's six mana. Yeah, but because of the flash. It's not that bad because you're just doing it on the end step when you know you're safe. I like that in Sphinx, like in, in an Unesh deck, this is four mana. Also, I also <laughs> like that this protects you, right? So, like, if there's something scary on the board that may or may not attack you, oh, flash yeah. in, bounce it. And that makes it sort of a semi-removal spell. Enchantments, artifacts, like things that you can't really predict as well. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Doubling season is out. They're going to play a Planeswalker. Boom. Saves you from combo-y type stuff sometimes. That versatility just makes it, I think, pretty good. It's Sur Surveil 4, too, is so much selection. Oh, yeah. I, I think that is literally draw a card. It is six mana still. That's the one thing I'll say. And I just, my decks don't have a ton of six drops in them. They, you, what do you got? Like six slots for six drops? Seven? Like I said, in a Nunesh deck, it's a four drop. <laughs> After you have a six mana Sphinx on the battlefield. <laughs> okay. okay, the next card is the only split card on the list, and I added it. It's Expansion and Explosion. Expansion is uh, two is it symbols. So either two blue, two red, or a red and a blue. And it's an instant. Copy target instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost four or less. You may choose new targets for the copy. So it's a fork <sighs> for four or less. And then Explosion is blue, blue, red, red, and X. And Explosion deals X damage to any target. Target player draws X cards. So you can choose either side of that. Also, I want to note for Explosion, the player that takes the damage isn't necessarily the one that plays the card or that draws the cards. I mean, you can if you want to, but you can say you can deal 10 to you to and, I do, yeah. and I draw 10. Um, I really wish that was just a fork and 
you could just copy any spell. Four or less just kills it for me. To me, Fork is very good because it can copy those big things, but Fork often copies small things. So I'm often copying a counter spell with Fork. I'm often copying... True. Yeah, I'm often copying a small effect with it because in general, people aren't playing their huge multi-costed spells into your open blue mana. So that's just not something... A lot of times they'll do like a test... With Fork, it's your open red mana. True, (laughs) but this is blue and red, so you got to have both. Um, And I do like the fact that Explosion is an instant. If Explosion was a sorcery, I wouldn't put this card on the list. But Explosion is blue, blue, red, red, X for an instant. So you can hold open your fork, your counter spell, and then you can dome somebody or kill a creature and draw a bunch of cards uh, as sort of the, the alternate thing if the fork doesn't happen. I like that these are different enough as far as scenarios that it covers me in a couple of different ways. I, I think this is a good card. So for that that side, it's six mana to deal two, draw two? Right. I mean... How much mana do you want to put into that Stroke of Genius really good? is, listen, better because of the colorless mana. But I'm just saying, like, Stroke of Genius is only one less mana than this on his face. Okay. And I play the heck out of Stroke of Genius. Yeah. And you often have... This may be a symptom of the way that I tend to play, but you often are just passing the turn with all your mana open. And just sitting around waiting to see what happens and responding. And this it seems like a really good card in those scenarios. Okay. You, you, you've actually convinced me. I like the fact that this copy effect is more of a protection effect. Copy your counter spell to, to counter stuff, essentially. Um, okay. And there will be other things that it can and will copy. It's not going to get everything. But I think four is pretty good. Like... Cryptic you get, commands. You get, ramp, you get ramp and you get counter spells. Yeah, yeah. You don't get their big. You don't get your big. Their big spells. You don't get to double up. Uh, you know your crazy big mana stuff. The thing that threw me off is that this makes it feel. This other side makes it feel like it's going in a big mana deck, and then the other side doesn't even let you copy your big mana spells. I was like, ugh. Right, but I don't think that you'd have to have it in the big mana deck, and that's a really good point, right? Turn. It's your turn two. Goes to the other player's turn three because you didn't go first. They Kodama's Reach. You're like, sweet. I get a Kodama's Reach. Yeah. In is it. Okay. That's like the best. That Like, I'd be so happy if that happened. And it happens most games, right? You have convinced me. <laughs> I think it's good. I don't think it's amazing, but yeah. okay. Okay. Uh, we have a card that I love. Experimental Frenzy. Three and a red for an enchantment. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may play the top card of your library. Play it. So if it's a land, you get to play it. Yeah. You can't play cards from your hand. Mm. Well, you know, everything comes with downsides. (laughs) And then uh, for three and a red, you can destroy this enchantment experimental frenzy. So if you're like, I would really like to play cards on my hand now. Let's just get rid of this thing. Um, It seems really good. It seems really good. And uh, Future Sight is a pet card of mine that I think is very strong. But because it's in blue, people don't play it a lot. But by the way, if you're on a budget and you want an amazing card, Future Sight, put it in your decks. Um, being able to play the top card of your library is great because a lot of times you can just chain them together. I think people don't realize that, right? Where it's like, yeah. I look at the top card, it's a land. I play the land. Then I look at the top card because it's a different card now. And it's a sorcery. I cast it. Then I look at the top card because it's a different card. And it's a creature, and I cast that, and I just drew three cards off of it. Yeah. The thing that sucks is when you go land, then look at the top card, and it's a land. I already played my land for turn, so now I'm done, and this card won't let me play any cards out of my hand. Yes. That is that is a big downside. I like what they're doing with red. They need to start experimenting with experimental factor, frenzy, experimenting with white and what it can do with card draw, because this is a card that I think Boros and things could think about running, and you'll run the... 
scroll racks and the divining tops to kind of like mitigate this right yeah. with divining top it's really really good because you're not going to run into those two land well divining scenarios. top does the same thing as oh it doesn't do the same thing as because you can't play cards out of your hand because divining divining top with uh future sight is amazing because you can draw the card put the top on top and for one mana play the top off right. the top you don't want to do that with experimental frenzy because <laughs> once you get it into your hand you can't do it but until you get three lands on your top three you're going to be able to at least put make sure the top yes, card is a spell scroll rack lets you sort of take the cards from your hand put them on top oh yeah so those kind of cards are ways that you know i think this card is going to can be really good and be a lot of card advantage and again it has it has the escape button it's fun it by has the way the eject do, you know, button. do you know what else i like a lot that you can look at at any time there's like no timing restrictions it's like morph you're like, I'm going to tap you like, hold on. Hold on, let me look. <laughs> I get to look at the top card of my library. <laughs> Didn't you just look at it? So what? I can. Yeah, I just get to. Wow. That's the thing. Wow, trolling. <laughs> Some epic trolling. Okay, the next one is something you brought up that I didn't even think about, but there's one new gate in the set. Gateway Plaza. It's a gate. It's got other text on it. No, I guess I'll read it. Gateway Plaza enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, when Gateway Plaza enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless you pay one. Add one mana of any color. This is Rupture Spire and Transguild Promenade reprinted, but a pure upgrade because it's a gate. Maze's End Maze's is end kind is of a thing. thing. Alternate win condition. It's like kind of a thing. It's a thing and we have an extra gate. How much better does it make Maze's End? Uh, 10% better. <laughs> That's just math, everybody. <laughs> just math. <laughs> That's a stupid question on my part. My bad. <laughs> We don't need to spend time on it. Um, uh, unless you're it's playing Maze's End, don't play this. I hate Rupture Spire yeah, and everything. Um, there's better mana fixing out there. Uh, this next card was our friend Sean Plot, Day 9, one of his preview cards. Golgari Find Broker. Black, black, green, green for an Elf Shaman, a 3-4. When Golgari Find Broker enters the battlefield, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. So it is Eternal Witness, uh, but only for permanents, so not any card. But it's a 3-4, four, 4 mana, 3-4. Mana cost is a little bit restrictive. Um, I This permanent thing is a, is a new thing for them. They've done it on a couple cards. Uh, um, the They've most, gone away from the regrowth-esque and gone towards it can't get a sister sorcery. Which is, That's which what, is good. That yeah. feels very Golgari that it's permanent. Well, it, it opens the space, too, for um, red and blue to be the ones that get uh, instants and sorceries or, or play with instants and sorceries in the graveyard. It just means that Eternal Witness can will always be better than this. I yes. Think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have Gruesome Menagerie. Speaking of Eternal Witness. I know. Three black black for a sorcery. Choose a creature card with converted mana cost one in your graveyard. Then do the same for creature cards with converted mana cost two and three. Return those cards to the battlefield. To the battlefield. So you need a one drop, a two drop, and a three drop. Do you have to get all three for this to be worth it? No, not necessarily. If you got like a three and a two, you'd be okay? Or a three and a one? If you get a one and a two, are you happy? You have to really want these cards back. They can't be... I'll tell you what, if one of them is an Eternal Witness, I like that. Yeah, which it could be. Because then you could just get this back into your hand and then sacrifice your Eternal Witness. Is it like, I wonder here's, if there's a combo there. Viscera Seer. Get it, yeah. But Eternal you have to cast the cards. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's tough because you got to pay the mana for a sorcery in there. The, you don't get that big of a mana advantage. That's the problem. One, two, and three equals six. The CMC of this is five. Yeah. That's a one mana mana advantage in so many specific cards that you have to want coming back. 
that's what I was going to ask you was, would you play this in like a Marin deck? No, because I... You don't want sorceries in that deck. Yeah. I want the stuff that brings my stuff back on the battlefield. I want it to be a creature so that Marin can interact with it. And sometimes I want two two drops because I don't have that many one drops per se. Yeah, I don't think it's that great. All right, the next one is Hatchery Spider. Five green green for a five seven spider. It's got reach. It also has undergrowth. So when you cast this spell, you reveal the top X cards of your library where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. And then you may put a green permanent card with converted mana cost X or less from among them onto the battlefield and then put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So it has a sort of... Genesis Hydra-esque effect, but it's for undergrowth. Yeah. Yeah, this could go pretty deep. I think it could be good in a deck that's dredging and self-milling a lot. Um, because What's the CMC of this again? Seven. CMC seven. What's the body? It's a... Five, seven. And the cards go on the bottom of your library, so they don't go in your graveyard. But if you can reliably get like 10 creatures into your into your graveyard, and this is a seven drop, so by then hopefully you've done it. Like I said, Hermit Druid can do that by itself probably. You know, you can be reliably finding certain things with something like Hatchery Spider. And it Spider, gets a permanent, right? And it puts it onto the battlefield, so it kind of cascades it. So we could get like, it could get cool things. Planeswalkers, crater enchantment hoof. combo pieces. Oh, Crater Hoof is good. Yeah. But it also gets green permanent, so it's not just creature. Seven is a lot. Yeah. Because um, a little, it doesn't take that much more mana to literally go get exactly what you want with a different card like um, Demonic Tutor. Yeah. <laughs> That's two mana. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking like Green Sun or um, the the one the, that also has Convoke. True, true. This yeah, I think it's good, but it's not great. Yeah, okay. Spider though, we're yeah. getting we're getting more cool spiders. If like only that. Thantis. If only Thantis. Why'd you do that? People hate on me. They think I was too critical of Thantis. Thantis have you is, gotten have you gotten any any blowback? Hate. Thantis blowback? The thing is, you're way more sensitive to blowback because you don't get very much. I, on the other hand, get tons. So Thantis just seemed on par with all the other blowback. I need I get. people to love me, Josh. <laughs> Thantis was whatever. Thantis is why didn't they just say spiders have plus two plus two? Okay, go. Next Night card. of Autumn. <laughs> one green white for a dryad knight. Uh it's a two-one, but it's got some cools enter the battlefield effects. When Knight of Autumn enters the battlefield, choose one. Put two plus one plus one counters on Knight of Autumn. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. You gain four life. So you get to pick one of those. It's a Reclamation Sage that's in green-white and has a couple of other options in case you didn't want to blow up. If the up mana and... is fine, this is better mm-hmm. than a Reclamation Sage. Yep. It's amazing. Because it can very easily be a 4-3. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can gain you four life, still has that ability to kill stuff. This is a strict upgrade to Harmonic Sliver, unless you are caring about the other slivers, I guess. Four, a three mana, four, three. Jeez. So this is going to, this is going to be powerful in a lot of other formats Yeah. where the flexibility really matters. You're like, okay, well I'm playing against a red deck. I need this life gain. Um, so this might actually fulfill the role where, where Kitchen Finks is kind of. I know Kitchen Finks is a little bit better. better. We're talking about different formats. But still. Uh, But still, the flexibility is so good. Kitchen Finks doesn't destroy artifacts and enchantments. Yeah. You are going to see this in a lot of different places. I think it's very good. All right. The next card is Jimmy's favorite card from the set. It's Legion Warboss. It's two and a red for a 2-2 Goblin Soldier. Has Mentor. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 1-1 Red Goblin Creature Token. That token gains haste until end of turn and attacks this combat if able. So it's a little bit Goblin Rabblemaster. Whereas Rabblemaster pumped it, got bigger itself for every Goblin you had. 
this one makes the other goblins bigger because you're going to attack with this 2-2 and the 1-1 one, one that just it just made and then mentor the 1-1, one, one, so now it's a 2-2. Two, two. And by the way, I, in in an empty board, I like that better because I like to spread my power out a little bit and not have it all be on the creature that you want to kill anyways. You don't have to attack with Legion War Boss, and it's so it's going to create the goblin, and then you can just swing in with the goblin. So it can't just be a token maker that happens every turn. You know, Ravel Master made goblins attack, right? Yes. So it would have to run itself in or all the goblins. So, so on the Rabble Master, it basically said all your goblins have to attack. So you had to be very worried about playing that in a goblin deck where you just had to swing with some of your very critical goblins. This creates the token and the token has to attack. It's on just the token. Just for that turn, Just though. for that token has to attack. Yeah. So you could start to accumulate in a way that Rabble Master and some other cards won't allow you exactly. to. Exactly. So I think it's in some ways better. Okay. Um... I, by the way, great in goblin decks, great in things like Perforos and, Perforos and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, the, I think a lot of people are going to play that. Okay, uh, Lolith Giant, six and a black for a zombie, for a six five zombie giant. It's got undergrowth. When Lo- Lotleth Giant enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to target opponent for each creature card in your graveyard. Whew. There's the, didn't you say on what was the card that you're like, I wish it did damage to players? Yeah. This one does, that was Ral. Ral yeah, there. that was Ral. Or Ral is advisory. This, this literally is like straight to the face damage. It almost reminds me, I don't want to say Grey Merchant because Grey Merchant is so much better. But it does but, remind you of Grey But Merchant. it reminds me a little bit of that. And when when you're compared to greatness, Grey even Merchant if you don't ridiculous. measure up, you know, still. Again, Hermit Druid, something like that. You can envision scenarios where this does 20 or more. I could, yeah. Yeah. And then you sack it, reanimate it. There's, I mean, you're clearly playing a graveyard strategy. So being able to like pull it back out of your graveyard or sacrifice it sounds like you could just really just be a big fireball to the face. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's definitely decks that could just cycle it in and out, you know, five, six times and kill everybody. Yeah. All right. This next one is March of the Multitudes. It's white, white, and green. Sorry. White, white, green, and X. So... All right, I got lost. I don't know why. Instant. White, white, green, and X. Instant. I was thinking about something. Okay, it has Convoke. So X spells with Convoke tend to be good. It says create X11 white soldier creature tokens with lifelink. So you can, you know what I was thinking about? Because Fibblethep is hidden in the art. He isn't hidden in there. If this wasn't an instant, I think it's not that great. It's okay. But the fact that it's an instant means that if you have a moderate board state that's not super scary to your opponents, somewhere in the realm of like six one one tokens, where they're like, that's going to be a problem, but not quite yet. Mm-hmm. And then on your end step, you like tap your six creatures, tap another seven mana, make another 10 things. And it was on your end step because it's instant. And now you untap and you have 16 things. Instant is huge. Secure yeah. the, but we've had token secure makers. The waste. We've had token makers for a long time and secure the waste really broke out in our format and yeah. in other formats too, because it was instant speed and we really saw a big impact. And yeah. this having convoke really lets you pump in so much more. Um, and I think it makes up for the fact that it's uh three CMC added to that X rather than just one. I find when I play token decks and I've played quite a few, you get to the point where you've got, you have a decision. If you stray into the too scary category, Mm -hmm. you're going, which is like too many tokens. You're going to raise the awareness or the threat assessment of everybody else. And they're going to board wipe. So when you go to do that, you need to have protection ready. 
But having the protection ready means I can't grow my board. And so you sit in this weird spot where you're like, uh, mildly threatening, but in order to become into like, I could win the game, I have to stick my neck out so far that that might cost me the game. Instant speed on an effect like this allows you to sort of have your cake and eat it too, where I can hold my answer up and then the end step before my turn, I can grow my board to the point where I actually can try to win. And then they only have that little window to interact with it. Otherwise I untap and now I'm back with my protection and I can drop you know, my Triumph of the Horde or something else, Beastmaster Ascension and go for the win and the board wipe is, I'm protected from the board wipe you know, yeah. with my heroic intervention or whatever. And so it's really important to have instant speed to actually win with token decks. I think it's very good. I think a lot of token decks are going to... I think people are going to lose to this card a lot. All right. Um, we have Mausoleum Secrets. Uh, it's one in a black for an instant. Undergrowth again. Search your library for a black card with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. If you're going to have a bunch of creature cards in your graveyard, then this is Demonic Tutor. And you really only need it to, to be like CMC 5 or 6, honestly. Like, I think people get caught up thinking like, I want it to be 10 creatures so I can get any card in my deck. But 90% of your deck is 5 CMC or less. And so once you get to 5 creature cards in your yard, you can get most cards. And honestly, I'm usually getting Toxic Deluge. Yeah, and also <laughs> some of your win conditions like uh, uh, Torment of Hailfire and Exsanguinate, those are 2 CMC. Yeah. That, that is oftentimes what you're getting with a tutor and you've got it right there very easily. All right, the next card is Midnight Reaper, two and a black for a 3-2 zombie knight. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, Midnight Reaper deals one damage to you and you draw a card. Grim Horror Specs? Yeah, I think Grim Horror Specs is better, but this one does um, count itself. Oh, I yeah. think Grim Horror itself, Specs yeah. says another, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a role player and some people are going to be like, sweet, I got it. It's going to be super cheap. So pick it up, put it in some decks. Uh, this one? A lot of is, talk about this one. Awesome. Mission briefing. Blue blue for an instant. Surveil two. Then choose an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard. You may cast that card this turn. If that card would be put into your graveyard, uh, this turn exile it instead. So it it snappies something's kind of, right? Like you have to still cast the spell that you target. Yeah. It does surveil two. Yeah. So you have a chance to find something that way. Although if you're casting this without knowing what your target is, you're doing it wrong. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of Snapcaster. You don't get the 2-1. It's a little bit harder to recur, depending, maybe easier in blue. Josh, I think that this is sneaky good. It's instant. Okay, so so let's talk about it for a second. Okay, number one, sometimes when they're instant and sorcery matters decks, you don't really care about the 2-1 body. In right. fact, uh, in our format, a lot of times a 2-1 body isn't as impactful. Uh, when you see Snapcaster Mage be amazing, it's actually like chipping in for damage, being a, a threat as the control in modern or player something. In, modern in Commander, or like though, that. it's just amazing because it gets you the spell back. And because yeah, it's amazing because it gets spell back. Maybe you have certain shenanigans with the creature, but this actually has a little bit of wording that's interesting. Uh, so it actually says choose. Right. So not mm. target that's really interesting so one of the downsides of snapcaster mage can be you cast it its trigger goes on the stack you target a spell in your graveyard in response to that trigger somebody can say death right shaman the spell that you were trying to go after and you, you don't have a chance because you're cast targeting it. it right this is interesting i didn't notice that um, basically this says choose so you cast the spell and as it's on the stack being cast people can do whatever they want they can counter things whatever but as soon as it resolves 
Like there's no interaction. You choose the spell and you have priority. There's no space there for someone to then get rid of that card out of your out of your graveyard. So if they had death right, they could choose like the best instant or sorcery in your graveyard and you're not gonna be able to cast that, but you'll be able to cast one of the other instant or sorceries in your graveyard, you know, unless they could get rid of all of them. Think about somehow. it like the clone effects, like the yeah. Phyrexian Metamorph or the or the um, clever impersonator where you could say, look, like you can kill my best creature before I pick, but I'm gonna get something. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. These cards and snappies the same way are just very, very good because there's versatility. This counts as five or six different spells. So it's a mystic confluence or it's a uh, extra turn spell or it's a, um, you know, counter spell. Josh. Okay. So hang on. I'm also going to going to make this sound even better and it might ruin it for you a little bit. Okay. So because of the language of this, you are you're choosing it and you can cast you can cast that spell okay. that means that you can pay alternate casting costs oh yes so, so you can mm. you can yeah snappy you can't do that because uh it gives it flashback and you can't pay two alternate casting costs but this so you just can overload you cyclonic rift so you it. can overload cyclonic rift. or vandal blast or whatever yeah that is interesting i didn't think about that either mm, it's getting better by the minute isn't it it's it's powerful i would argue that in commander it's better than snapcaster mage i mean it is very deck dependent because Snapcaster Mage can be recurred in an easier way. Creatures are generally easier to recur than uh, instance. So yeah, yeah, I, I would say in many decks it will be better, but it's not strictly better. But yes, it's also it can, it, I'll it tell can you what let it will you be. overload Cyclonic Rift twice. I'll tell you what it will be. It will be guaranteed strictly cheaper than Snapcaster Mage. <laughs> it won't be seventy dollars. That's right. <laughs> okay, next card is Mnemonic Betrayal. It's one, a blue, and a black for a sorcery. It says, exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. You may cast those cards this turn, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any type to cast those spells. So it, Yawgmoth's wills everybody else's graveyard. Yes. For the same casting costs, CMC-wise anyway, it's blue and black. And then it says, at the beginning of the next end step, if any of those cards remain exiled, return them to their owner's graveyards. And then you exile Mnemonic Betrayal. So, oh my gosh. There's a lot to unpack with this thing. But in general, Yawgmoth's will your opponent's graveyards, right? I love it. And Yawgmoth's will is very good. And again, another expensive card. I love it. It's not as... See, Yogsmoth's will, though, you you have it designed so that it works really well with what you're doing. Right. Um, a lot of times you're comboing with it, but it's a very powerful effect. But it's mostly because, because I'm going to yeah, replay you can predict, specific things. And you can predict what's in your graveyard. It's the doomsday. You can't predict what's in their graveyard, but that's part of the fun. I love this. Do you know what else I love that I just thought of? And I'm wondering if this works. Uh, if you Oblivion Sower all of the lands that were in their graveyard. Yeah. Because you're exiling, the same you're basically exiled. exiling them, mm -hmm. and then you basically get to oblivion. So are the the incidental lands that are in there. I like that. I was thinking again, Sundial of the Infinite, so that their stuff just remains in exile. Oh, can you keep? Right? Would you be able to do that? It says at the end of the turn, if anything was in exile, you put it back in the graveyard. So, so you could use it as an exile all my opponent's graveyards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could Plus do I that. Cast something off but it. you get to do you get to maintain access to the? Oh, cards? I don't think you get to keep casting them because well, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. But I'm just saying like. Exile all my opponent's graveyards after I've cast a couple things is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Sundial. That card. I just need to have more because sundials. It does, it it's so tricky. Stuff. It's so tricky. Yeah. Um, I, I just feel like, so I just smart think this when is I fun. use it. Uh, yeah. I, I like Gaunti. I like Praetor's Grasp. I like playing with I like playing with your guys' cards. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Okay. Um, Murmuring Mystic. 
Uh, three and a blue for a 1-5 human wizard. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-1 blue bird illusion creature token with flying. Um, young Jeezy, Young Pyromancer. Yeah, Young Pyromancer, Talrand. Um, I think that this could go in a lot of those token decks. I don't think it's particularly exciting. The I art think is sweet. The art is... The it's art all is the birds from days. Of days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, eh, it's fine. It's fine. The next one is Notion Rain. The art on this one is straight up the Matrix. This lady's walking around going, why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? All right. <laughs> blue, black, and one for a sorcery. Surveil two, then draw two cards. Notion Rain deals two damage to you. I mostly just wanted to say the Matrix thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's seriously, look. Are we just moving on? Or yeah, we're just moving, moving on. on. Okay. But look, it's digital rain. That does seem weird for She's also flavor. wearing a trench coat. Like, if she had sunglasses... I mean, once we went to Innistrad, I realized that trench coats are going to be a part of magic for forever. Look, if she had sunglasses, she would be the one. You know what? That's, She's an, that's an altar I can do. Yeah. Just put a little that's, sunglasses on that. That's sweet, actually. Okay. Maybe okay. I can get Olivia to make me a metal version of Trinity as Notion Rain. Then I'll have to play Notion Rain in a deck, though. I don't want to do that. All right, go ahead. Sorry. I'm the spell adept. Oh, this card. Four and a blue for a 3-4 human wizard. Uh, two and a blue... Tap, you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your hand without paying its mana cost. This is just has to be kill on sight because it's, if, it's you let, if you let them untap with Omni Spell Adept. What are you going to cast, Josh, if I let you untap with it? I mean, I'm going to cast Expropriate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to cast. Time Stretch. Enter the Infinite. Enter the Infinite. <laughs> Yeah, anytime anybody's got like a big cheat spell that's going to be like, oh, you know the thing that normally costs me this much is only going to cost three. You don't don't let them do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's super ambitious because it's basically like holding up a sign. Yeah. But, you know, if you manage to have like, um, well, I guess I was going to say if you manage to have haste, but then you're paying eight mana. Because I was thinking about a, a Nala. Yeah. Nala. Yeah, would would basically because you can make the token the token has haste, but that would be nine mana to like get. If you have off. nine mana, just cast yeah, it. Appropriate. Just, just cast it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's there will be some broken things that would happen with this, and you can untap it and maybe do it twice in a turn and whatnot. Yeah. But it's probably not quite as good as it looks. Okay. The next card is Plague Crafter. Two and a black for a three-two human shaman. When Plague Crafter ETBs enters the battlefield, each player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Each player who can't discards a card this is we were talking about it fleshbag marauder merciless executioner those are staples in certain kinds of decks a lot of decks run both of those cards this is better than both of those cards by a, quite a bit and better in different ways too it it hits plane planeswalkers and it hits their hand if they don't have a creature, because that happens with Fleshbreak Marauder and, and Merciless Executioner, where it's like in those decks you got Grave Packs and other things, and a lot of times you're like, they don't have any creatures left, or they're not a creature deck. Yeah. And your Grave Packs and stuff are doing nothing, and it feels real bad because they're going to storm off or do some sort of combo. And this says, oh, well, let's just start stripping your hand then. And it's a 3 2 just on top of it. It's not even a 3 1. Like, what the heck is going uh, on? I don't know. Uh, it's also an uncommon. Yeah. People. I, I actually really like that this is an uncommon because this is a powerful card. You it's you're gonna see it in a lot of commander decks, and just being able to get as many as you want right now uh, means that this effect's gonna be everywhere. Um, okay, the next card is Runaway Steamkin. It's one in a red for a one-one. Whenever you cast a red spell, if Runaway Steamkin has fewer than three one-one counters on it, put a one-one counter on it. Remove three one-one counters from Runaway Steamkin. 
colon, add red, red, red to your mana pool. So it's a one, one, anytime you cast a red spell, you put a counter on it. And then once it has three, it won't get counters anymore, but you can remove the three counters and basically red ritual. I think this is really interesting on a lot of different levels. First off, it could very easily in aggressive decks be a two mana four four. Yep. And a two mana four four that can then ramp you later is pretty powerful. But we all know we're thinking about cheating of mana cost. And when you can cheat mana cost, you can do crazy shenanigans. Um, I don't know if this is good enough or reliable enough to, to count on the mana. I mean, I think it's pretty reliable. It comes out early. I also think like if you have a uh, a deck in the colors and you have like hardened scales or something, then it gets quite a bit oh. better because now it's like two spells make get three mana. And that kind of rebate is actually pretty great. And the three mana might allow you to cast another spell or two. Yeah. And you could get into some loops maybe where you're doing some interesting things. You know, Winding Constrictor, even more color restrictive, but... If you have that kind of a deck that's going to take advantage of 1-1 counters and red happens to be included, then this could do some crazy stuff. I mean, there are cards that dump tons of 1-1 counters onto other cards, and that could, that could basically turn your 1-1 counters into mana, mm. which is the type of thing that can be broken. I totally agree. Break this card, guys. Okay. Uh, Ritual of Soul, two black black for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures with converted mana cost three or less. So this is an interesting one. I think it's kind of similar to Citywide Bust, right? Where it's like in the decks that will run a card like this, doesn't have a lot of three CMC or less mm -hmm. creatures, it's going to be a one-sided board wipe or, or close to. And man, it really screws up token decks. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Okay, next one is Thief of Sanity. This is the new Night Vale Spectre, right? It's one a blue and a black for a 2-2 two -two flyer. Whenever Thief of Sanity deals combat damage to a player, look at the top three cards of that player's library. Exile one of them face down, then put the rest into your graveyard. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may look at it, you may cast it, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. It kind of gaunties. This set is great. <laughs> it's a it's a three mana 2-2 two -two flyer, so it's going to hit people. And then it's going to do it again. And like That's the thing. It's going to... Yeah. It's and you get good. to play their you get to play their spells. <laughs> you get to play their spells, everybody. Yeah, I mean, that, it's, I think that card's really good. It's a lot of card advantage. It's it's selective too. Yeah, it's like if it was just the top card, then oh yeah, maybe you get the a top land. Card, then maybe you're just like, oh, okay. But it's well, you like, can whiff. Yeah, top three cards, you're you're gonna get a spell. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, oh, oh my man. gosh, it gets Josh. This set. The this, hits keep coming. This card's a little bit insane. Thousand Year Storm. Four blue-red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it for each other instant and sorcery spell you've cast before it this turn. You may choose new targets for the copies. So it storms all your <sighs> spells, right? So you, you, play, you untap with this. You play, I don't know. Brainstorm. Brainstorm happens. The next instant or sorcery spell you cast, you make a, one copy of it. The next instant or sorcery spell you cast that turn, you make two copies of it. Oh my gosh. So if you like untap, get taxing probe, brainstorm, something, you're probably going to win, right? You you don't have to, because you're going to get f three, four copies of the next spell you cast. Josh, this card. What if you cast fork? Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> Do you remember Cloven casting? Yeah. Seven CMC. It was five uh, red, blue. And whenever you cast a multicolored card, you could pay like one or two and copy that. 
I thought it was a great card. Then Swarm Intelligence came along and it was seven mana and it just copied spells. And I thought that was like amazing. I just gushed about it on a video. I'm like, yes, this is an amazing card. And and then you show me this, six mana, and then you can start chaining spells together and get multiple copies of them. Yeah, this card is, you untap with this card and it's it just doesn't feel like it'll be that hard to win now. You're just gonna copy I love, here's the thing though. I love value. So I right. love like the swarm intelligence that then you cast a ramp spell next turn or you know what I mean? Like I love the value kind of stuff or drawing tons of cards off of this. You're right. It feels like you just win when you cast this. Maybe I want to. Well, when you oh, untap, no. when you untap. <laughs> yeah. Cause it doesn't do anything for the first spell you cast. It's the second. Yeah, okay, and yeah, then yeah, the yeah, third yeah, right. is really the one where it's like, uh Oh, you're it's now it's broken because you're okay. That does make sense. Three you got copies three of your spells. third one. Yeah. But you're only putting this in a deck that has like 40 instant center sorceries. Oh, it's so... And it probably, a lot of those are the, you know, are, are the cantrippy brainstormy stuff, in which case this is going to be easier to find. Yeah, that's that card is really, really, really good. It... Uh, <laughs> you seem you seem more disappointed that it's out in the world, that, which would be against you rather than playing, playing yeah, with it. Yeah, because it's not the kind of card that I'm super excited about running, but... It's definitely the kind of card that when you see it, you're going to be like, uh-oh. I mean, we better either kill that player or kill that thing right now or it's just game over. Oh, man. All right. Uh, am I up again? Sure. Vicious Rumors. A single black for a sorcery. Vicious Rumors deals one damage to each opponent. Each opponent discards a card, then puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. You gain one life. One mana. One mana. One damage. One card from them, one card in their graveyard, and one life. Yeah, I don't know. It is each opponent. So in our multiplayer format, we're literally talking about one mana, three damage, three cards. You lose a card, everybody else loses a card, so it's kind of even. Okay, here's where I like it. Thousand Year Storm. Here's what you do. You go Brainstorm, (laughs) or Jataxian Pro, Brainstorm, Vicious Rumors, on the stack with its other three copies, you play Fork, Make four copies of Fork, Forkering the Vicious Rumors five times. So you get like nine Vicious Rumors. There you go. Copying on copying on copying. <laughs> you have to have a uh, a good Grixis deck to do that. <laughs> it's Kess. It's Kess. Okay, sure. Yeah, actually, there's a pretty good card in Kess, right? Because you're going to cast it out of your graveyard. And it's only one mana. So you I get two cards. You get a lot of for... advantage. Yeah, because the second time once. you cast it, you're not. Uh, it's not out of your hand, right? It's out of your graveyard. With Cass, I'm talking about with Cass. Uh, this is a possibility, right? Because you're going to get two cards from everybody for one card for you. Plus, you plus gain two life. I like your idea. I like your idea of uh, playing it like the fifth card. Uh, <laughs> fifth spell of the turn after a thousand year elixir. Thousand year storm. Or a thousand year storm. <laughs> okay. Uh, the last card on our list that we're going to talk about is Underrealm Lich. It's three, a black and a green for a four, three zombie elf shaman. If you would draw a card, instead, look at the top three cards of your library, then put one into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So any card you would draw, you do you go through that. Um, that already is a ton of value. Like we've said before for Surveil, graveyard's a lot better than it, on your library, or in your library, really, in most decks. And then you can pay four life and Underrealm Lich gains indestructible until end of turn. Tap it. So it's actually difficult to get rid of that's like the fixed regenerate now huh yeah 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 it is um also four three 
with pay for life, give it an indestructible is not the worst in that it will be able to attack kind of freely. A lot of times they're not going to want to block it because you can just pay for life. It can block most things, big scary things even because it, with the indestructible, that part of it is not to be undervalued. Although you're mostly playing it so that every time you look at or sorry, you would draw a card. You'd look at three instead and pick one. Yeah. Isn't there a, a blue card that has like a weird frog on it from Kamigawa, like a zombie, but not like that? And it gives you card selection instead of card draw. Um, that's actually surprisingly good if you ever play it. And so don't underestimate this ability to have a little bit of selection as all as you're drawing. But also it puts stuff good. in the graveyard. So if you could then, you know, play something that made you draw a few cards, like five or six cards, you could all of a sudden put 10 of those into the graveyard. Oh man. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm, I wasn't thinking of, I was thinking of your draw step, right. not the scale at right. which you could dump stuff into your graveyard, man. Yeah. All of a sudden you're, you're like really dredging or, or milling a lot just by drawing cards, which you want to do anyway. Huge enabler. Yeah. So I, I actually think this card is pretty good. It's a little expensive at five, but I think it can do some work. And yeah, like I said, four, three with, in, with indestructible is is useful okay that's all the specific cards we're going to talk about but we are going to go through a couple of cycles just to talk about them um let's talk about those first actually so yeah so the first cycle we have to talk about are the lockets so, so this have, replaces clue stones yeah clue and key stones? runes no key runes were the ones that turned into other things oh okay yeah that you could activate them and it turned into like a one one bird i don't remember what clue that. stones are the ones that drew your card they were three mana rocks yeah and uh, these replace signets, which were just way better. Yeah, we didn't play the clue stones. No, they're bad. We still don't play them. No, I mean, one of you might, but we have to measure these up and find out where they fit in terms of our fixing. So, all of them are lockets Slesnia locket, Golgari locket, Demir locket, is it locket, Boros locket, all that good stuff. Uh, they all cost three mana for an artifact, and you can tap it to produce that guild's color. Either in this case, I'm reading Slesnia locket, so it's either green or white. But then you can pay Selesnia, 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 Selesnia. That's green or white. So it's four, four total mana, mana yep. of any combination of green or white. Uh, tap it to, and sacrifice Selesnia Locket to draw two cards. So it's a three mana rock. And then later in the game, you can pay four and draw two cards. Is, is Hedron Archive-ish? I'm paying four to add two mana versus three to add a little bit of fixing. It feels like these are still not it good enough. It feels like they're still not good enough. If it was three mana to draw the two cards, would it be better? Probably be a little yeah, too good actually, in like limited. Yeah, I actually think I would do that. Or or if you didn't have to tap this as well. Right. Yeah, because you lose the one mana, so it can't even pay. Well, you could either take away the tap symbol, which would make it virtually three mana to yeah. do it. Or keep the tap symbol and have it cost three. Well, either way, they didn't do that. So I don't <laughs> think we're playing we're not, We lockets. don't need to fix this. Um, it's something to note. And I think maybe in budget decks, because these are going to be super cheap. And you just don't have the other but mana Signet's rocks. Like this could be cheap. good. I guess if you're only yeah, in two but, color, you only got the one signet. Yeah. Okay. All right. And the other uh, cycle, which everyone's very excited about, and we've been talking about because they're on our play mats, are the Shocklands. So we've got Overgrown Tomb, Sacred Foundry, Celestia. No, that's Temple Garden. <laughs> I pulled Celestia Guildgate, but it's Temple Garden, Steam Vents, and Watery Grave. So assuming that uh, the next, what's it called? Ravnica Allegiance? The next yeah. set, I think, uh, will have the other five. We're going to be in a period of time here where the 10 Shocklands are currently in print, which means buy them. <laughs> by the way, they didn't they didn't go crazy last time 
Like not last right away, time, but they took a while. But then they were like they only went up a couple dollars over years. It, so before the it, announced Ravnica was going to be a block that we're returning to, they were all still like twelve bucks. They were yeah, they were like twelve bucks. But at the time when they left, they were like eight or nine. Some of them were down to like six or seven because I remember I at that time I bought um, like six of each, and I I got six of each for basically thirty five to forty dollars mm-hmm. uh, per land, and I was just like I just I know I'm going to want these. And they're not going to be cheaper than now. And that's going to happen this time. They're going to go down it's to five, six, again. seven yeah. bucks. They're going to go down pretty low, especially because this set's going to be opened a lot. People want these lands. And so... The Assassin's Trophy is probably going to make these um, even lower mm-hmm. because it's going to soak up a lot of the cost. And these are basically the best lands in the format with fetch lands. I mean, old school duels, of course, are the best, but most people don't have access to those. And shock lands and fetch lands together you can build any deck and your mana base will be great. And this, so this is a half of that puzzle and shocklands shocklands are great. Shocklands are great. You go fetch for them. So they're great. They're, they're very good. And you will, you should pick them up. You should buy them. You're just never sad. Like I never am like, Oh man, I wish I didn't have these three steam vents. Like, you know, you just won't be. So that's a good note. And usually you want to look for these things at what they call peak supply and peak supply will be somewhere in the six to eight weeks after the set is released. That's the point at which the most of it has been opened. It's been drafted. Right after uh, MTGO Redemption comes on. is Less of an, a thing anymore because they've nerfed Redemption to the point where it, there's still, it barely There's still a lot of them. It. And it yeah. also does impact the foils because that, they get more foils um, foil for sure. cash outs than, than other times. Yeah, foils for sure. But that is literally when you get an insertion of a lot of stuff into the into the system. So pay attention to that and pick them up and they're great. Yeah, they're awesome. You will not be uh, dissatisfied. Okay, to the listeners, what is your favorite new card from Guilds of Ravnica and which deck are you putting it in? Did we miss any? Is there a card you're like, why didn't you guys talk about that card? There almost always is. So please, in the comments, on Twitter, email, Patreon, anything, let us know which card we missed. Josh, what's your favorite card out of the set? Oh, um, well, besides Assassin's Trophy, let's let's remove Assassin's Trophy. <laughs> I think this is the best card, but it's just a removal spell, so I don't think it's going to reach my favorite level. Do you have a favorite card? Do you know what it is? Because I'm quickly trying to think of what it is here. Um, my favorite card is Plague Crafter. Yeah. Honestly. It's pretty good. It's it's an uncommon. It's going to be everywhere. People are going to love it, and I love this effect. So, yeah, I think it's going to be Plague Crafter. I think I'm going to say Mission Briefing. It's super good. Yeah, and it's just the kind of stuff I like to do, which is be very flexible. You just feel so good when you're sitting back on you know a decent amount of mana and you just have a lot of things you could do. And you're just saying like, well, if this happens, I'll do this. But if this happens, I'll do this. But if this happens, I got that covered too. You know what I mean? Like That's, that's definitely my play style and Mission Briefing plays right into it. I'm seeing all these cards laid out in front of us and this is an awesome set for us. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of commander cards in here. In fact, if you want to pick up any of these cards, you can go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone right now and you can pre-order singles. You can pre-order sealed products of Guilds of Guilds of Ravnica. And you know, you're gonna do that stuff anyway. You're watching a magic podcast online, you're a magic player. Just use the affiliate link when you do, and you really are supporting this show, Game Nights, all of our content. We really appreciate it. And while you're there, I mean, if you're going to build, let's say, a Izoni deck, then you're going to want Golgari-themed sleeves. If you're going to build Aurelia like Craig did, then you're going to want those Boros sleeves, Demir sleeves. They even have the sleeves for the guilds that are not in this set. So I've seen the Simic oh, ones. Cool. I've seen Yeah. So you, you know, if you have like an old Mizzix deck, 
you can find the sleeves for that. So I would highly recommend, again, they are the Eclipse technology, so the durability is very high on those. Okay, Whew, this was a long episode, but we're still going to do the end step because I have a cool one. Are you a fan of the West Wing, DJ? I totally am. I feel like you're like, you would be like, love the West Wing. Love the West Wing. You're like a, a big fan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, was, there was a season in there that was a little bit It's like five wonky. or six. Yeah, but overall, it was it was an amazing show. So I'm a huge fan of The West Wing. Always have been. Aaron Sorkin, great writer, one of the greats. And I started listening to this podcast recently. I got through most of Criminal. And I was like, on Criminal, they actually advertised this podcast. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. I like, I like The West Wing. It's called West Wing Weekly. And it's hosted by Rishi K. Sherway and Joshua Molina. Now, Joshua Molina was a character on uh, the last few seasons of The West Wing okay. and is good friends with Aaron Sorkin. So you get some insider look. And what they're doing or have done, I haven't got to the end, so it's possible they've finished, but I'm not sure, um, is watching each episode of The West Wing and each episode of The West Wing is an episode of the podcast and they kind of go through and look at it and... Josh Molina sort of gives some insider stuff that he knows and they really break it down and it's very interesting. Also, it's a really good excuse to go through and watch the West Wing again. <laughs> Do you, you like the West Wing enough to like then listen to a podcast about the West Wing? Well, I hadn't thought about it until I listened to the first episode and I was like, I really like that show. And I went on Netflix because really all, the, all the seasons are on Netflix right now. And so I went on Netflix and I was like, I haven't watched it in years, probably 10, 15 years yeah. or whatever, right? It's, it's, you know, it's been like since 2006 where it was on. So 12 years, I guess. And I was like, I don't, you know, I, it was fun listening to them talk about it. I sort of remember the episode they were Does talking about. Does it hold up? Have you watched some episodes? It, it totally up? holds up. It totally holds up. It's great. The show is great. If you've never watched The West Wing, you should go to Netflix and watch it. And you can watch the podcast at the same time, even if it's your first watching, because they don't do any spoilers. They just talk about the episodes as it goes. So Ooh. it's fun to... So now what I'm doing is I'm watching a couple episodes, and then I'll listen to the podcast about those episodes. I didn't think I was a West Wing super fan, but maybe I am. <laughs> I don't know, but you it's know really that, good. Uh, I saw an interview with, with Rob Lowe, uh -huh. and uh, they... I think it was Stephen Colbert who was asking, like, well, what about getting the West Wing back together. It's a politically charged environment. You could have a lot of things to say. And uh, he kind of hinted at the idea of uh, that maybe some people wouldn't be opposed to getting that back together. Oh, in some I'd be way, so excited if that happened. Don't tell me that because now they, I'm going to get my they, hopes they, up. They basically said that like they would only do it if Aaron Sorkin was on board and he's like, he, like he's not opposed he to it. He didn't that. say no? He didn't say no. Oh, it would be so sweet. Okay, well then you really should go to Netflix right now and watch all the West Wing because if it's going to come back, you're going to want to know what happened before. So <laughs> right. I'm just like shilling for West. I've never worked on it. I don't know anybody. It was before my time really in LA um, when it started anyway. Uh, but I just think it's such a great show. It's just so well written and so well done and the performances are amazing. The first four seasons, then Aaron Sorkin leaves and it kind of, it dips and I think I know what you're talking about. It's still fine. Yeah. It's still fine. But by season six and seven, it's lost a little bit. So, all right. Something that hasn't lost anything at all and you should also check out is the Masters of Modern They've Podcast. They've recently added some stuff. In fact, that is true. So they're on uh, YouTube now. They're doing videos. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman, they talk about the modern format, all things competitive magic. If you go to YouTube and in that search bar, you type in Masters of Modern, they will pop up and they will tell you all about the modern format. Uh, you were even talking about modern a little bit on this episode. Those yeah. are the guys. We should have you. I'm going to talk to them. Maybe you can get on Master of Modern since you know more about Modern. They're always like, hey, Josh, you want to come on? And I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea what to say. I know nothing about Modern. I could come on and say Assassin's Trophy seems good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have very, I have, 
I like I like all of magic, honestly. Like Commander and Cube are like my things that I really get into. Yeah. But I mean, I still like taking out my Jun deck and and playing with it and stuff. So yeah. Maybe you could get on there and talk to them about Jund and like Ooh. what Assassin Trophy does and how it's positioned now in the meta and maybe they know all about that stuff. So if you're interested yeah. in modern at all, definitely check them out. You can find them at collected.company right next to us on YouTube, like I said, or on Twitter at the MMCast. Our editor for the show is Josh Murphy. Thank you so much, Murph. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card Animations at Living Cards MTG. We got Cabal Stronghold behind us being all lightning-y and awesome. I want to say that for Game Nights, Jeffrey did Thousand Year Storm, and it looks sweet. Yet another reason to set those calendars for September 26th so you don't miss that episode. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>